Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number nine of Finding Extraordinary. Like, if you just want a job, you can have a job. But if you want a career, you got to have these this filter for your decision-making um, and try to find people that you align with. And then I don't think you fall into the bucket of having to deal with those phrases, um, hopefully. And I know that's easier said than done, but, like, I believe there's a lot of people. I look at my friends, you know, where we've gone. I look at... Um, people that I'm close with in the industry, like for whatever reason, we've always fell into good situations. And I, I can't say that it can't be all luck, right? We, 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 we've made good decisions. And I think all of us have the ability to make those decisions as long as we don't get blurred by that extra 15 grand. Because after the 15 grand, especially in California, it's, you know, 7,500, 7,500 doesn't go very far. Like really <laughs> is the quality of your life worth that extra 7,500? And I think oftentimes in, in LA, especially, like, you know it. I mean, you're in Manhattan Beach, right? Like, you can get caught up in that game. Oh, yeah. And that's a tough spot to be. And I would, I would rather sacrifice that 15 grand every single day to have quality of life and alignment with my leader. My next guest is Corey Breton. He is the CRO, Chief Revenue Officer of Global Attractions for the company Legends. Legends is the joint venture created by Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys and... George Steinbrenner of the New York Yankees. It wasn't the easiest route to get to where he is now, but through a lot of trial, error, and learning moments, Corey has been able to not only achieve success in his career, but he's also been able to develop himself into a leader that executes and produces massive results in his life and others. This is a very special release for me, because it proves what is possible by just getting started. I didn't know what could come from creating a podcast, but without creating it, I am not sure this conversation would have ever happened. I personally learned a lot from it, and I guarantee you will too. In this episode, we talk about growing up in a small blue-collar town. We talk about the growth mindset, reading, trial and error, how you drive your day, and how you have to invest in yourself. We talk about Ryan Holiday and his amazing books, guys. We really nerd out on this. Then we get into motivation versus inspiration and why you should strive to inspire. Then we get into developing interpersonal relationships, human connection, and why that will only help you. Then we talk about one thing that is very important to Corey, and it's enrolling your boss. And he explains how to do it. Then we talk about extreme ownership, how you have to own it, your life and your decisions. And if you do that, you can default aggressive, but by defaulting aggressive, you have to be vulnerable on the back end. Then we talk about how not to get consumed in your desired outcomes, that you lose sight of the opportunities that drop in your lap. After that, we get into how to just start, whatever it is, the idea or your thought or your whatever you want to do, how to just start. Then we get into creating an internal podcast at work and how Corey has done that and how that's improved his relationship with everyone in his business and improved his business overall. Lastly, we talk about how to be a leader, that if they don't get it and if they don't understand it, that is your fault. Then we Finish off with books, mentors, and not 
finding your extraordinary, but to always be searching for it. Guys, this is an awesome conversation. And without any further ado, let's get it started. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Corey, welcome to the show, man. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. Yeah, and uh, obviously meet with you and spend some time with you. Yeah, no, it's uh, the pleasure is all mine and obviously the, the audience too. I mean, I'm super pumped to have you on. We have a mutual connection that, uh, that hooked us up. So, you know, thank you, Lori, for that. Um, I want to just kind of get started and find out where you're from, uh, you know, what, where, uh, where you kind of started this, this mindset of yours. For sure. Um, I'd say I was very fortunate to, to grow up in the state of Michigan. Um, I'll say that. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town, roughly an hour west of Detroit. What uh, town? Jackson, Michigan. So we're not known for much. Uh, but if you are from Michigan or that area, if you've ever driven down 94, the only way you would know my hometown is that uh, all the don't pick up hitchhiker signs start to pop up as the prison is in my hometown. Um, <laughs> so as you can imagine, as a kid, you know, growing up, if you saw the helicopters overhead, you knew something happened and to go to unlock your doors type deal. But I mean, it was a great setup. It was probably like 50 to 60,000 people during the time when I was growing up. Um, we're modern middle class. I mean, middle class America is what you would picture. Both my parents worked at a plant that made brakes uh, for Ford. Grandparents worked there. Aunts and uncles worked there. Um, I think even at a point, you know, my two older brothers dibble dabbled in a little bit of that and worked there as well. Um, my dad worked there for 35 plus years. My mom, 33 plus years. That's where they met. Uh, wow. So very romantic to, to go to meet on the lines of making breaks for Ford. Um, and grew up there and I'd say right around the age of 12, 13, I'll never forget it. Uh, at that point, nobody in my family had really gone to college or pursued uh, further education outside of high school. You know, my dad, immediately when he graduated high school, he got drafted uh, via Vietnam, you know. Uh, and so he was fortunate enough not to have to go there, but he went over and spent some time in Germany at some of the bases. Um, and then my mom, you know, graduated, worked at a bank, and then slowly transitioned into working there. But when I was 12, 13, I'll never forget, it was 4th of July. They very rarely shut the shop down. Um, and they shut it down, and my dad walked me through the shop. And if you've ever walked through, like, a facility, a tool and die shop, uh, an industrial opportunity place, you know, it has a very distinct smell. Um, you smell like this oil mixture with shavings, um, mm -hmm. because of the parts. And he's like, this is not for you. Like I want something better for you. And he walked me around the shop and I'll never forget ran my fingers across some of the machines. He says, you're going to college at the age of 12 or 13. That just stuck with me. And it's always stuck with me. And I've kind of used that as I'd say a, a tipping point where it's like, all right, I'm committed going to find a way to go to college. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but at the very least, I'm going to further my education. So that's where I grew up. I have two older brothers. Um, my entire family essentially has stayed in that hometown. And then for me, uh, as soon as I graduated, 
you know, I had the opportunity to stay closer to home, but I had never ventured west of the Mississippi. And so my journey took me out to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and I know you went to ASU. Yeah. And I think I talked about, yeah, I talked to you about prior to this. I, you know, I went to Western Michigan University for undergrad. Um, and immediately when I landed in Phoenix, I was like, why did I not look at out-of-state options, right? <laughs> um, and toured ASU and got to go to a couple football games and, and whatnot. But um, my journey's kind of taken me all over the United States outside of, I would say, the Northeast. And then I landed in L.A. Uh, roughly five years ago. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, quite quite the journey. I mean, from being that kid in, uh, you know, in the shop at 12 or 13, <sighs> you know, making your way all the way, all the way out to Phoenix and then the Metropolitan Los Angeles. Um, yeah, way different. Um, you know, it's been unique because I was in Phoenix for three years, uh, then went to Atlanta, was in Atlanta for seven years, went to Minneapolis for two, and then Los Angeles for the last five. And it's, I would say, benefited my family because I was always in the sports and entertainment industry. And so I've been the coolest uncle uh, for the <laughs> longest period of time, the coolest brother. Um, you know, and I think I've almost spoiled my family to the point where if we have to sit in traditional seats and not a suite or a club, they're like almost, uh, upset that I couldn't pull, uh, more levers to, to get better seats, but it's been an awesome journey an awesome ride. I feel like the experiences that I've been able to, to go to expose my family to has been really cool. Cause like I said, you know, now all my entire family lives in my hometown, um, due to the economic downturn, that town went from like 50 to 60,000 people down to 30,000. Wow. But I feel like the and I know it's very Midwest me to say, but blue collar work ethic was instilled in me at a very young age. I had jobs during the summer. It was very blue collar working in shops, working at Elro Steel, which is a steel plate uh, manufacturing shop. And I just remember working in those places between college, uh, summers off, even in high school. And it's like, I, I knew what I didn't want, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted, but I was willing to go in and kind of take that leap of faith because I knew I could always come back. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and for me traveling to all these different cities has exposed me to so many different cultures as well. And realizing that the United States, especially now that I've, I've started to begin to travel overseas, whether it's Asia or Europe, um, how unique the United States is, is that, you know, our States are essentially many countries, right. And yeah. a lot of other countries, I would say, um, and, and continents would, would have countries the size of our states. And so for us, you know, people always say, like, as we go through this, like people in Phoenix, a little bit different than people in Atlanta, people in Atlanta, a little bit different than people in Minneapolis and definitely LA, but all of them have uh, kind of the same common theme, which is just the human connection. So that's, that's kind of where I've carved out. I feel like a career is to try to maintain human connection. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you can, you can tell that that's you know, something that you thrive on and that you're really passionate about. I can like, uh, this is what I love saying all the time on the podcast is like a lot of times as the listener, you don't get to see the guest or you don't get to see us talk, but I get to see you right now as you're talking about it. And you're just like lighting up when you talk about, you know, working with other people and, and really, um, driving home that, that human connection that you want. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the common denominator, right? I think especially where we're at today in the political climate and you can go, you know, we're on the walk in, we're talking about the virus and the impact it's had on, on us here in the United States, but across the world. Um, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all share that common bond. And I think when you, you know, like tear everything down to the core pillars, the core values, like we're relatively the same. And I think that's what I've found throughout all my travels, because there's a lot of markets where I've moved into and I've always been in a sales function. Mm -hmm. where people have automatically said like, Hey, real quick, Seth, like, you know, or Corey, this market's different. 
And I was like, okay, not a problem at all. Completely get that. Uh, how many other markets have you lived in? And they're like, well, this is the only one I've lived in. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, well, you know, what other jobs or what other functions have you held? Well, this is really the only path of travel that I've had or only profession I've had. Okay, well, I understand that. But I would bet if we dial everything back, 85 to 90% of, of what we have as human beings are similar. And then there's a 10% that is definitely like geographical, right? Like, or based on, you know, Pacific Northwest background, LA, mm-hmm. you know, Southwest background, Southern background, Midwest, whatever it might be, but at the core, we're relatively the same. So I, I think that's helped me uh, move into sales meetings and be able to connect with people relatively quick because you don't look for the differences, but you look for the commonalities. And I think oftentimes when we enter two conversations or relationships, we're automatically looking for reasons why we can't connect as opposed to reasons why we could connect, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's what separates you from, from a lot of other people, right? Um, separates a lot of people from a lot of other people, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I agree. Um, a lot of reasons why others are successful or you know, subjectively successful is because they do want to connect. They do want to collaborate and make something happen with others. And there are certainly people who are not in that boat or in that, in, uh, in that group and they, they stray away. You know, why do you think that is for you that you want to, uh, constantly work with people? Um, great question. You know, I, I mentioned previously, uh, I have two older brothers, um, and, you know, my mom and dad, I grew up with them. I was fortunate enough to, to grow up with uh, a household like that. And, you know, my mom, initially, I'd go back even beyond that. Um, my dad worked nights. My mom worked days. And so early on, when I would get out of school, I'd spend a lot of time or early on growing up between the ages of zero to 10, really, my dad raised me. Mm-hmm. And so I think having balance there without like my mother figure, and then as soon as I turned 10, they flipped and my dad went to nights and my mom went to days. Oh, wow. And so I have that influence. And then I have two older brothers that helped raise me as well. They're 15 and 13 years older than me. So I was a surprise or uh, a little bit of, you know, a mistake, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. But I think that has given me the opportunity to sit back and listen. And not to say I grew up as an only child, but I grew up with brothers. But at the same time, I was alone a lot. Um, and I had just the difference of opinion between a mother, a father, cause they were never in the same room at the same time. Um, so I think that formed it. And then, you know, if you talk to my brothers, they would always call me curious George. Like I was just really curious. Um, and I think for me too, is, is been a focus on a willingness to at all stakes, just leave it behind. I knew I needed to get out of my hometown and I, I don't mean that as a bad way, but I knew that like there was more out there. There had to be more. And I didn't know what that was going to be. Um, at the same time, I was completely comfortable with an undefined outcome. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that I had to take that leap of faith. And, you know, I try to go in in every situation uh, where I, I look to lis- listen and seek to understand as opposed to be understood. Um, I think I'm fairly introverted to, to begin with. And so, um, maybe I, you know, sitting back and listening and and taking everybody's opinion into account and then try to formalize or build uh, my own opinion based on those facts, I think has helped me create relationships and and understand the differences that exist between people, but also going back to it, find the similarities that exist because that common denominator, if you get down to the root of it, right, we all are humans. We all share common bonds. We all like are seeking out 
relationships or companionship in some way. Um, and it helps me to dial that back. So ho- hopefully that helps answer yeah, the, the question. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Uh, I've got another question for you. Have you ever read Mindset by Carol Dweck? I have not, but I'll oh, put it on the list. Man, you have to. It's, okay. it's so relevant exactly to what we're talking about. Um, would Just based on hearing fixed mindset or growth mindset, which mindset do you think you have? Oh, uh, it, it's funny because prior on the drive over, um, you'd mentioned that you're going to ask one specific question was going to be around books. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the books is good to great. Um, and I'll never forget. I was probably 27, 28 when I read it. And within it, there's a concept called the hedgehog concept. Um, and there's three questions that are intersecting. It's three circles. And one of them is, all right, what drives your economic engine? Another one is what you're deeply passionate about. And the third is what can you be the best of the world at? And it's a very polarizing question, I feel, especially Mm -hmm. at the age of 27. And up to that point in my career, I felt like I was living out somebody else's agenda. And what I mean by that is that there's an org chart. And I was, you know, when you first start your career, your boss sits you down and he puts it on an org chart and he says, if you do this for two years, you'll get promoted and you move to this for the next two years. And you do that for three years and then you do this for two years. And then slowly but surely you build a roadmap to being a VP of ticket sales and service or VP of sales, whatever you might want to say. Um, and I felt I was living out that org chart, but I really wasn't my why, if you will. Yeah. And so when you look at those three intersecting questions and one of the things that I would say is that I found more joy in growth beyond the college experience um, because I get to seek out things that I want to learn about. And so what drives my economic engine truly is growth. And that was my answer at 27. That remains my answer. And those three intersecting circles have really formed what I would call my North Star, my decision-making matrix for my career, for my life, for personal, professional. Everything is kind of filtered through that hedgehog concept that I picked up in that book. And immediately I knew, like, I'm going to attach myself to anything that pushes me, that anything that grows me, that anything that exposes me to new ideas and new concepts, even if I don't initially agree with them, I want to understand why somebody does agree with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I've just always had that growth mindset. I'm constantly trying to read, listen to podcasts, things of that nature, and just trying to find mediums that work for me too. I think that's the other piece because there's so much content out there now uh, from a growth mindset. It's almost like you can become overwhelmed. And how I internalize information, I've come up with a system, right, that I feel like not only am I internalizing that information, but I'm trying to figure out how I can apply it to my life, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So I'm just not an encyclopedia, but I'm actually like practicing and implementing those things I do learn. Well, that's the whole basis of the growth mindset. It's, It's literally, I may not know this now. I'm, I, I may have never even seen this before, but I can take a look at this or I can see it. I can learn about it and then learn how to use it instead of just seeing it and saying, you know what, that's not what I do, which would be the fixed mindset. So it, it's really cool to see it in person. I've been, I've been, if you're listening to this and you've listened to, or you've read the uh, mindset by Carol Dweck, or if you're reading it right now, you'll totally be like, wow, dude, ha ha moment. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is so cool. This is like someone who is the epitome of the growth mindset. This is really, really cool. This is, this is like a treat for me. That's uh, good. Well, no. And it's, it's when you read, right? Like, and I'll be, I spend a lot of times, uh, a lot of time on planes uh, or traveling right now for my current job. And I try to always take a book, you know, I, I try to limit, uh, movies and it's almost like I, I treat myself to a movie if I've done something well, like it's almost like a, an incentive for me. Like celebrating your wins. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you know, with the books that I read, 
it'll be the light bulb moment where I'll go off and I'll immediately jot down a note. And then I'm trying to think about, and it takes me a long time to read a book because I'm constantly thinking about how I can apply those lessons learned. And I like to do trial and error a lot. Like if you were to talk to other people that I've worked with in the past, there's a lot of things that I've read that I've tried that have completely failed or I didn't articulate them appropriately to the folks on the ground. And I'm like, you're not understanding what I just read. It worked in the book. Like, why is it not working in real life? But I think through that trial and error, you figure out what works for you, what works for your situation, your setup, your industry, whatever it might be. And so that's where my mindset has always been because, you know, I think at a certain point in my career, I always call it the 10th grade history teacher, nothing against teachers, nothing against history teachers. But if you're a history teacher, the 50s remain the same, the 60s, the curriculum remains the same year over year. And a little bit after probably five to seven years of my career, I felt a little bit like a 10th grade history teacher where I needed to reshape it, rethink it, um, almost revitalize it, if you will, and think of a new way to carve out a path because this can't be the only way. Just because it's tried and true, just because the wheel's round for a reason, there has to be new bolt-on elements that I can add to the best practices to even take it to the next level. Um, and so that's where my mindset goes when I'm reading or, or looking for new ways, new endeavors, new avenues to pursue, just constantly trying to refine and re retool, I would say what we're currently doing. Well, yeah. And earlier you said you were, you were, you know, since you can remember, you were just a curious person and it seems like, you know, you're trying to find ways to keep that curiosity going, you know? Yeah. Um, I, it's so funny you bring all of that up because, um, when, when I was working in a, in a corporate job, I found myself just doing the same thing day in, day out. And I felt like I was just in this, you know, circulating. Abyss. Yeah, the circulating wheel. I'm like, yep. man, I'm like not learning anything new. I know what I'm doing. And it's just the same thing every day. What can I do? And it's like now researching, doing a ton of reading, like I know what I can do. But at that time, I felt really stuck. Um, you know, what would you say to people who might be in that situation? And, and I don't mean to, to come across as arrogant by any means. And, and I would caveat everything I say is just my opinion, right? It's not right or wrong. It's just what's worked for me. I totally. think that's very important. This isn't like a sermon by any means. Um, a, I've been very fortunate to be surrounded with growth mindset individuals. So mm -hmm. I've always found a way to either uh, attach myself to leaders that, that are kind of in that growth mindset or peers that are in that growth mindset. And I'd say your peer category is probably more important than your managerial category, right? Because sometimes you can't pick your boss. You can't pick your leaders. Um, sometimes you just need a job because you need a job to put food on the table type mentality. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's the one piece where I try to surround myself with individuals and I have core folks from my hometown that I'm still boys with, that I grew up with. And then there's like this corporate group where we've surrounded ourselves with each other and we're constantly pushing each other and, and, and sharing of information. So I think that's what's created an ongoing, it's not say a competitive landscape, but it's competition in a way that it's positive, like we influence each other. And so that's been something I've always been focused on. And I would say too, if you were in that mundane setup, like be a thumbs person, like the only person, like when I look at it from a sales perspective, if somebody goes, well, my job's mundane, well, who controls your day? you have the most autonomous job out there ever. Mm -hmm. Like you have the ability to create your own call list. Like you have the ability to, from a product perspective, how you, how you position the product, how you sell the product, 
literally you can, you can interpret it in any which way, form or fashion you want to, you can shape it up any which way you have the ability to dictate how you communicate via email, via phone, via letter, like shock and all campaigns. If I want to send something nice to you, Seth, and say, Hey, to go and spark some interest. Like I have that autonomy to run and operate my own shop. And I think that's the beauty of sales. And I would have never, ever thought going to college, like I didn't plan to be a salesperson. I don't think anybody plans to be a salesperson, but what I would say to anybody in sales or anybody on my staff, like if your day is dull, look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Like what are you doing beyond the nine to five? Like, do you pick up, if your day is dull nine to five, do you go home and, and binge watch Narcos Mexico, which is a great show, which just came out. But at the same time, <laughs> do you binge watch that or do you pick up a book or do you read an article and then go, how can I apply this to tomorrow's day? And how am I going to test drive this? And how am I going to like utilize this information that I've just gathered for the next three, four weeks and use that almost as a test case scenario? Like I'm, I'm and basically my own incubator and I can do whatever I want as long as I'm producing and then I can always lean into my manager for feedback. I can always lean in my peers for feedback. And I think that's where it comes back to. It's like, I would take a hard look of who you're sitting next to at the lunch table. Are they individuals that are constantly looking for reasons why they can't be successful or are they individuals that are constantly looking for reasons why they could be successful and seeking out new opportunities? Um, and I think that's a big piece of it. And you kind of go back to that growth mindset. I've been very fortunate going back to my very start in, in Phoenix with the Phoenix Suns there's a group of 10 of us um, that are still in the industry some way, shape or form, which is very rare to, to maintain. And we're talking like 16 years now. Um, and they're all highly successful, super successful individuals. And I don't think if you would have put us on an island in a silo at a property or in a job, we would be where we're at today without each other. And we were kind of that group that would go out to lunch together. We definitely would go out on the weekends together as well and, and socialize personal but when it came to nine to five and Monday through Friday, like here's where we're at, here's what we're trying to accomplish. How can we help each other? Cause we're not competing with each other. Mm -hmm. Like we're here to push each other and motivate each other, encourage each other. Um, and I think that type of environment will cultivate a growth mindset. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And also, you know, um, I feel like there's a lot of people who could be in that mundane, uh, situation or, you know, around a group that, that, isn't pushing them and trying to get the best out of them. Um, and for me, what I would recommend is listen to more podcasts, do some more reading. I mean, even get out there, try, try going to like a Toastmasters class or uh, just a, a, any class where you can learn something new or work on something that maybe you're not good at right now that you really have to push yourself to be good at. And that's, that's like my recommendation. But what about, what about you? Where do you, uh. where would you say, or what would you tell people to do, you know, to yeah. get get better at, at life? <laughs> um, great question. I think, you know, A, we're all works in progress. Nobody has it figured out. Mm -hmm. um, and and I love the all the different mediums we have the opportunity to internalize information from. But at the same time, it's a love-hate relationship. Like, I think it creates unrealistic expectations. If you look at, you know, an Instagram or Twitter or whatever it might be, and you're following somebody that has 50,000 followers and you have 50 you know, you, you, you might look down on yourself or if you have 5,000, you might look down on yourself. Like mm -hmm. how do you measure success? Like, and I think that comes back to a mindset for me and a mindset that was instilled in me through my career is I just want to be better today than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I'm the only individual that can measure that nobody else. Like I'm not competing against anybody, but myself. I think that's first and foremost, like I'm in a competition with myself every single day. 
Um, and you know, there's a saying that came when I was with the Atlanta Hawks and it was one of the coaches there. He goes, I understand that you can't be a 10 every day, but you can't be anything less than an eight. And so for me, what I apply every single day, like today I was in the office when we were talking about the virus's impact. There's not a lot of people in the office. I was literally the only person in that office. And, you know, we have the ability to work from home, all these things, but Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to mail in a day. Right. And I I think that's a mentality that once you get to a point where you've created um, maybe stability in your workday or stability in your life where it's, um, you're not, you're, you're not going to put yourself in a position or give yourself an out. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, the other piece for me was moving to different cities where I legitimately did not know anybody, yeah. right? And you're forced to look at Toastmasters. You're forced to go to improvs. You're forced to get up on meetup. Um, when I first moved to LA five years ago, I didn't know a soul, um, you know, and I'm later in my life, I'm, I'm mid thirties and it's not the easiest to meet new people. So I get up, I meet up and then I start in a flag football league and I play flag football on Saturdays and Sundays and I meet a group of individuals. And now are they really contributing to my work life? But I would, I don't know, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think you can put, um, a measurement on something that you haven't done yet. Like I don't, would never recommend going into an experience saying I have to get this out of it in order for it to be proved valuable. I would just say, go gain experience, go gain life experience. And me interacting with a bunch of individuals and showing up on a Sunday morning at 10 AM in Santa Monica with a group of 30 people that definitely know each other. The first time I walk up, I pop off my bike and I just want to play flag football, which I haven't played in since like literally college. Right. So 12 years ago and I'm putting myself in an uncomfortable situation and I'm meeting and engaging with people like that goes back to that human connection at the end of the day, whether I'm in marketing, whether I'm in sales, whether I'm in tech, whether I'm in accounting, finance, whatever your discipline is, the one common theme is you have to deal with human beings every single day. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just try to put myself in situations where I'm having to interact and force myself to interact um, with other folks that I have no idea if we're going to have anything in common. Um, and so I think that that's a piece of it. And then I would say, you know, Amazon Prime is a great tool. Um, and what I mean by that is because once you buy a book, they recommend other books. Right. (laughs) So today, legitimately, I got recommended a book, um, and it came up and I'm like, all right, I looked at it. I couldn't even tell you what the book's name is, but I immediately ordered it $15 later, two days later, it'll arrive at my door. And I think that's a great peer pressure, I guess you could call it way. And I think what you subscribe to, um, and I try to filter as much as I can. And this is another tidbit, like with all the noise, like I try to filter only positive positivity in my life. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I will only uh, follow people on Instagram, people on Twitter. You know, I limit my uh, Facebook because that's like for my family and friends and things like that from back home. LinkedIn, who I follow on there. Like even the articles I read on the news, like I want to be aware and knowledgeable, but I don't want to dive so deep into that well that I get consumed by it. Mm-hmm. And so now I have filters in place so it's only positivity. The emails that I subscribe to, the blogs that I subscribe to on a daily basis. When I wake up, I get a daily stoic email, Ryan Holiday. Like that's the first one I read. I have a Napoleon Hill uh, email that comes through and I have a Seth uh, Godin email that comes through. Those are kind of my three filters in the morning that put me in a positive mindset. And then from there, I go to my five minute journal. I fill out that. My, what am I grateful for as opposed to what I'm ungrateful for? So I think going back to what I would recommend is create systems and process to put you in a position to be successful. 
and you might not see the immediate payoff, right? Like you don't always have to say an ROI on everything that you do. Um, and I think that's another big piece, especially when you're starting out in your career, like looking back at it and it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what I would say for me in my career, and, and I've gotten asked this question previously and be willing to look at it, um, like stock dividends and, and like a dividend, like a, like a, a savings account, everything I, I would put in, in years one through 10, like that was just building for the future. Mm -hmm. And I got to be willing to sacrifice for those first 10 years. Not, and I might not see the return I want. I might not even realize that I'm getting a return. And then all of a sudden it hits you and somebody offers you a position um, or an opportunity or pay that you're like, whoa, where did this come from? Holy ish moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like that. Wow. All that work I did put in actually paid off. And I, I think it's that aha moment, but you have to build out systems, structure and process and continue to refine that and then create filters to block out the negativity. Cause there's a lot of negativity out there and surround yourself with a group of people. Um, and then put yourself in uncomfortable situations, like whether it's meetup or anything else, like I've done so many different workout classes that if I was back home in Jackson, Michigan, I would have never gotten exposure to, or if I would have told my boys that I was doing a soul cycle class or going to hot yoga, they'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. But it's, I'm going to try anything and everything. And I'm just going to put myself in situations. I'll do a boxing class, even though I've never boxed before, just to see what it's about. And some way, shape or form, I'll find a way to connect that dot to a Monday morning meeting, or I'll be in a meeting and I'll be like, you know, within, Hey Seth, what do you do on the weekends? Oh, I box. Oh really? I went to a boxing class last week. Mm -hmm. like I went to box union. Have you ever been there right in Santa Monica? Oh, you have? Oh, great. And then it's that connector. So um, hopefully that helps answer yeah, the totally, question. Totally. I, I, there's so many points I want to take away from that. Um, I'll start with this one. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of told us what you do in the morning. And what I love about that is that you own your morning. It's like it's your morning. You get up and you, you read The Daily Stoic by Ryan, Hol Ryan Holiday. I just read Ego is the Enemy, by the way. Phenomenal. Super great book. Uh, I just... I have no, nothing bad to say about it, only great things. And if you're looking for a, just a book to really bring you down to earth, like that's, oh, no way. Yeah. I, that I is just, so cool. So, you know, his coins, right? Yeah. And with all the sayings, Memento Mori. Um, and so I've read all of his books and it was crazy because once you read one, I feel like you fall into the next one, the obstacle is away. And then you read to. another one. Next thing you know, now I'm, you know, subscribing to his blog and he has these coins um, and it's, uh, it's just a different like way of thinking about things. Right. And it's, it's once again, success is not, uh, complicated. I believe we create complications around success, but the fact that we're able to take lessons learned from like the Greeks from like the 1400s and 1500s applying today's world, they still apply. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, and, and just his mindset is, is so interesting. It, it's, I don't, I don't want to say off the wall, but it is, it's, it's just uh, no ego. You know, he's like, I'm here to serve the purpose and the purpose is way bigger than myself. And I have to figure out how to think, to do things that support that. Um, I, I think that would be it to, to a T, but, uh, I just, I love his, I love what he writes and I get his, uh, his emails and I'm on all of his, his lists as well. Uh, so, but to go back to my point, you own your morning. You have your setup, which would be priming yourself. So like at, at your position, you could easily just go straight to your emails and start firing off emails and, and, and doing work. 
you could do that. But instead, you're priming your brain, you're priming your 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 body, you're priming how you want to be that day, which I think is very, very cool. And that's something that I can take away and anyone listening can take away. Um, I mean, where did you learn how to do that? Ha. Huh. I mean, I, I would go back to um, my family and my surroundings. And I think it comes back to the work ethic, right? Like I would say that they might have not primed for their day in the same way because they're going to work on an assembly line and they were going to be measured based on the number of output, the, the number of parts they would make in a day. Yeah. Um, but for me, I would say from college through 2830, I had a, a me against the world mentality. And what I mean by that is I led with anger. I was driven by anger. Um, and I was driven by like the fear of failure, meaning that I didn't want to become what my hometown, what I felt like my hometown represented at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I would, I would uh, fight it and I was fueled by negative, not negativity per se, but I was just fueled by something that, that wasn't taking me to the next level. Like I knew it was going to be a hindrance. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, you know, maybe it was because the way I was coached, maybe it was because the way I was taught, maybe it was because just the old school way was a little bit more direct and, and like hardcore, like they felt like they had to yell to get their point across. But as I started to coach and teach and, and lean in and, and lead, I realized that there was a lot of other ways to get more out of people. And so I think I transformed into, you know what, if I wake up and, and I'll use this as an example, and I think we've all had it where we wake up and we pull up the email and you have an email from your boss and it's sitting in your inbox or he sends, she sends an email at 9.45 PM and you read it and it just like irks you, right? It just yeah. sends like shivers down your spine. And like, why are you doing this? Like, how do you feel like this is motivating right now? How, this is the polar opposite of your, whatever you're trying to create, you're creating the polar opposite atmosphere. Like I'm going to come into work angry tomorrow mm-hmm. or I'm going to, I'm going to arrive at work angry. And so right off the bat, um, I was 26, 27, my first leadership role had people report into me. Um, and I, I created a a daily email that I would send out to my team and it'd be a a daily cup of Joe literally is the subject line. Um, and within that I would read or I would steal other people's concepts, other people's ideas, articles, borrow, as well, I would try to uh, forward on their knowledge to other people that might not have access to it. And every single morning, when I the first thing I would do when I would arrive at the office is I would send out a daily cup of joe to every single person that reported to me. Um, and it was always in a positive mindset, like especially and that was the period of time where I was reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which flipped the script on me leading with anger. Instead, I led with positivity, and they call it PMA, positive mental attitude. And it completely reframed my perspective on life. Like I, I needed to focus on, I need to be grateful, like instead of ungrateful, right? I need to be grateful for the things I have instead of ungrateful for the things I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to lead with that. And I, so I think it initiated there. And then now that I have less people maybe reporting to me or I have different levels of people reporting to me. So maybe a cup of Joe isn't as relevant today because I don't have a team of salespeople. Like I have peers more so than, than people that report directly to me. Like I'm looking and seeking out my own cup of Joe's, right? Right. Like I want to provide myself. And that was the funny thing as a leader, everything I was doing was just as much for me as it was for anybody else. Yeah. Like, right. It was, it was to like inform and create like a concrete, like this is the line in the sand. This is the baseline for who I want to be today. 
and this is the message that I want to lead with. And you know that I'm going to be an extension of this message. I'm sending out email or else you can call me out on my BS. You can call bullshit. Right. And I think that's where it started. And now it's, it's carved out where even though that um, I work remotely from my staff, now it's transitioned to, and it might not be a daily, um, but I will send out a, a tweet that is totally just positivity. And it's either something I've read or it's my own interpretation of what I've read um, and, or it's a, a quote that I've seen. And it's so funny to me too, because it, it wasn't with the intent to gain an audience. It wasn't with the intent. It was just almost to reinforce and making sure when I started my day, I was in the right mindset. Um, and now I'll get folks that will email me or tweet me or message me and say, are you okay? And I'll be like, what do you mean? And like, well, you haven't sent out a morning tweet in a long time. Like I'm curious. And I've almost created, um, an expectation, if you will. And the same thing on the cup of Joe, because every morning the cup of Joe would come out at a specific time to my staff. And even if I was on vacation, they'd be like, we missed your cup of Joe. And it was so ironic to me because it was never the, like I had no idea who was reading it. If I had 50 people on an email distribution list, two might read it, three might not, right? And the other 40 might delete it, right? And even some people would comment that they would use it as their alarm to wake up in the morning. <laughs> um, and that was a kind of their deal to get in the shower. But I, I think cool. once again, you, you are creating systems and processes and structure to make yourself successful. And hopefully when you exude that, somebody else will find that to be, um, they'll, they'll find that that would be their passion point, or they'll find that to be enthusiastic, or they'll find that to trigger some mechanism in them to say, you know what, I can do more with my life. I can do more with my mornings. I can do more with my day. Um, and I think that's the intent. It's like, I'm doing all this. I just want to throw as much out there because it's just as much for me as it is for anybody else. And anybody that wants to grab a hold of it, more power to you. And hopefully you pass it on. It's the pay it forward type mentality. That's really cool. Um, when, when you decided to do the cup of jail or you put all these mechanisms, you know, in your daily, in your daily, uh, structure to, uh, either motivate yourself or motivate others. Do you do it for motivation or is there another word that might describe what you're doing that for? It's, it's, um, and I guess let me, let me preface that with, I, I talked to a guy, I really, uh, I had had him on the podcast, Adam Schaefer. He's the CEO of Mind Pump, um, which is another awesome podcast. And he, he believes motivation is bullshit, but (laughs) self-belief is everything. It's so funny that you mentioned that because as you said, motivation, what's the word that comes to mind? It's inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think if you're trying to motivate you're going to fail because I don't know what motivates 50 different people. Mm. But if I'm trying to inspire, like I think about a mission or values or uh, like, you know, not to go super deep, but like the Martin Luther King, that wasn't motivation. That was inspiration. And people got behind a message. And this is kind of getting into Simon Sinek territory where he talks about like what is driving decisions and behaviors. I think inspiration and, and my whole intent is just get to people to believe that they can be the best version of themselves. And I don't know when that's going to stick. And I'll never forget, I, you know, we talk about leaders and bosses that we've had. There was at one point where I was not in a great situation with one of my previous positions. And my direct boss said to me, like, why do you send out that stupid cup of Joe? You realize nobody, like people mock you for sending that out. People don't like it. They use it as their alarm clock. Um, it's pointless. 
And if I go back to the hedgehog concept, I knew that was like who I am. That is the pillar of what I am. I'm all about the growth mindset. The pursuit of perfection is what like really drives me, motivates me. And I want to be- become one of the best leaders in the world at what I do. Like that's what I believe I can be the best in the world at is a, a leader, a developer of future leaders. And I said, my response to him, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I said, you know, let's just say 340 days a year I'm here. And I send out that cup of Joe. Um, if it impacts just one person every single day, that's 340 people that I've impacted in a year. I'll take that. Like the other 79 people that disregarded it, didn't care about it, deleted it, used it as an alarm clock, mocked me. That's fine. If I just impact one person a day, that's good for me. Um, and so I, I think going back to your point, like I look at it as inspiration. Like I just want to get people to believe they can achieve. Um, and however I can influence that, however I can like continue to knock down that door because I do believe like, it's nice to give somebody a pat on the back and an attaboy and say, great job. And, and kind of gloss over, uh, what their accomplishments were. But if every single day I'm steadfast in this and every single day I'm committed to supplying you with information that otherwise you wouldn't receive, then at some point I'm going to break through. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I don't break through, we're going to have real conversations that, you know what, this culture that we're forming here at XYZ company might not be the best culture for you. Like if you don't believe in this, if you don't follow this, if you're not inspired by this, then it's probably not a good fit. It might be a square peg round hole and we need to look at a different opportunity for you. And I'm more than willing to help you because I know I'm not the answer for everybody, but if I'm, I got to stay true to me. And that's the biggest thing too, is that I'm not looking to, because I think when you're looking to motivate, when I think about motivation, I think of the stick and the carrot. Like I'm, I'm motivating you in order to get you to respond in a specific way. Inspiration. I don't, I don't know how you're going to apply it. I, I honestly don't care if you apply it at home with your wife, with your kids, whatever it might be. I'm just looking to, to get you to think a little bit differently today. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'll circle back with it again. And then I'll circle back. And then hopefully after 30 days, you're like, you know what? I'm on the inspiration train. Like if you ever read Jod Gordon, like the energy bus, like I want you on the energy bus. We don't want energy vampires. Like that's what we're looking for. So that's kind of where it started. And that's when I think about motivation. And I think it goes back to early on too. I, I was motivated through fear, meaning that people, my managers sometimes would say, you need to do X or else I'm going to fire you. And me personally coming from the background that I was in, like I responded that okay, because that was kind of, that was the, the, the situation or that was how I was acclimated growing up, right? Whether it's football, basketball, whatever it might be, sports playing, that was kind of like way, you, how you were motivated. If you want more playing time, you got to work harder. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got it. I'll do it. Um, but in today's day and age, like I, I don't believe that is the best way to motivate. Right. Um, man, again, so many things I just want to like p- pick, pick apart. There. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'll, I'll ask. I want to flip the script. You said, you know, you're creating a culture to where, you know, uh, you want people to be there who are inspirational. They feed off positivity there. It's just a good, a positive culture. And if you're not feeling that way, or if that's not who you are, you might not be a great fit. Now, what if it's the opposite way around for some people where they're who they are, they're, they're positive and they're not in that type of culture that fits them, but they have to work. They still have to, you know, put food on the table. What do you, what would you recommend for them? Yeah. I, you know, first and foremost, I think you have to put up guardrails to protect yourself. 
Um, negativity is contagious. Um, and that's where I go back to what are my filters? And, you know, there's certain people in every organization that I call the old curmudgeon in the corner or the Eeyores of the world, uh, or the Oscar, the grouches, right. And accept them for who they are too, though. I think that's part of it. Like if you're an individual in an organization and you're super positive and you have this frame of mind where you look at everything through a positive lens, um, rose colored glasses and somebody comes at you, like put yourself in their shoes and try to understand a little bit more first before you get defensive. Like, and then my role, once again, going back to it. And I think, you know, when I say my role, I would say all of our roles, my role isn't to change anybody. Like they are who they are and they're going to make their own decisions. And I think when you become preoccupied with your determined outcome, like your predetermined outcome, that's when you get angry and anger doesn't is the polar opposite of what you're trying to create, right? Like if, if I'm trying to get John from accounting to love life in the month of March, as he's doing all of everything at the end of the year, you know, like I'm going to, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Not everybody's. And then I think it goes back to the point. Like my, if you're measuring your impact based on the number of people that you impact, I think that's the wrong impact. Like I'd rather impact one individual like really, really, really well and have that individual, you know, 10 years from now, write me a letter and say, you'll have, you have no idea in the impact you made, then marginally impact 15 people. Um, and so I think first and foremost, like kind of put your ego, you mentioned ego, like if you're a super positive person, you're, you're not here to change the world. Like you're, that's you, that's who you want to be. Don't try to propose that on and push that on other people. Um, and then I would say too, though, is find individuals who have interest in that positivity and and create your core group. You can have groups within groups within groups. We've been doing it for years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so create, even if it's three people, two people, whatever it might be, um, surround yourself with like-minded individuals and you can still do your job, but don't get upset when John in accounting, he's reacted that way for the last 30 years. What makes you think that he's going to react any different to you? Like you're not there to change John. John's got to figure that stuff out for himself. Um, and I feel like a lot of people will get so attached to that one individual that irks them that then they get angry and then that impacts their day and then that impacts their week and then impacts their month. And then they start to see their numbers fall or whatever it might be, their productivity fall. And then like, then they go talk to their manager and the first conversation with their manager is like, well, we see your numbers have dipped or your productivity has dipped. What's wrong? Well, John's a jerk. John's in a different department. Like how does he impact your day to day? And you let it consume you. Yeah. And I guess that's the biggest, especially when you work in large organizations, but I think it's even more challenging when you work in small organizations with 25 to 50 people, because you're constantly surrounded and you're interacting with all those people on a daily basis that you can let that negativity seep in. So first and foremost, once again, like, what can I learn from John? Like he's really smart at accounting. What if I looked at it from a different angle? Like if I'm in digital marketing I want to become really close with John in accounting because I want to understand his side of the business. I want to understand how the P&L works. I want to understand how he's going to tell the president of the organization or the owners of the organization why my marketing spend makes sense and how can I get him to give me more budget next year? Like, what if I looked at it through his lens? Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden I'm dipping my toe and he's the expert and he can coach and teach me and he might take on a different persona as opposed to, and me being in sales is something that, that I had to learn the hard way Every time I was asking somebody else to do something, they were doing it at my benefit. And I would never reciprocate. I would never go into a conversation saying, 
what can I do for you? Every conversation started, whether it's, you know, ticket operations, marketing, um, event sales, you know, our analytics department. I'm like, Hey, I need this. I need this. I need I, 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 as opposed to what can we create together? And I think that mentality too could, could help. Um, especially if you have that positive mindset, like don't try to push the positive mindset, fit into their world first. And then slowly, but surely they'll work with you and they'll see how positive you are. And then you might alter their, their belief process, or you might alter their just feelings towards you and they might become your best friend. That's so, oh, that's awesome. Like, like you were saying, seek to understand, right. And what can I deliver for you before I'm taking anything, right. Um, that's such an awesome mindset, you know, and, and spot on. And, and it's only through failure, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I failed miserably, uh, early on in my leadership career. I failed miserably throughout my career. And through that process, I've learned that, you know, a remove email, let me go have a conversation. Even if it, if, uh, an email I could send in five minutes, if it's going to take 15 minutes to have the face to face, I'm going to walk over to Seth and I'm going to ask him what he did this weekend. I'm going to start the conversation there, even if I'm not interested. And then I'm going to ask him what his favorite Netflix show is. And then I'm going to ask him, you know, how his daughter's T-ball game went. And the next week when I go sit down, I'm going to find out that he had, his son had four soccer games on Saturday. And my first question isn't going to be like, Hey, I need this put together by Tuesday. It's going to be like, how was Timmy's soccer game? Mm-hmm. And immediately, like, I think that when I go back to that human connection, it all comes back to that. When you're able to set that aside and realize that you're not the most important person in the room, and that everybody else has other stuff going on. You're not the only one that's up against deadlines, right? Um, you get a lot more out of people and they respect you a lot more. And I, hopefully they, they, and then I think even if you didn't go into it, having genuine interest, you're asking genuine questions and slowly, but surely if you're human, unless you're completely cold hearted, you're going to take and be like, Oh well, yeah, you should go to your, you should leave work at four o'clock to go coach your son's T-ball team. And as opposed to me sitting in my office going, why does John always leave at four o'clock? Even though I sent him an email at three fifty-five, I need this done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That was, that was me back in the day, not understanding why somebody was leaving the office. And, and if I would have just taken 15 minutes and knew that he was leaving it because he's coaching his son's T-ball team, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I wish my dad would have coached my T-ball team too. Like that would have been cool. And then tomorrow morning, how, how, how was, how was practice yesterday? Right. It just humanizes everything. And I think going back to that core, that's the core principle of everything. Man, uh, you seem like you would be great to work for. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I like, hope so. I, I've enjoyed I try. This, I've enjoyed this conversation uh, a ton. I, I, I feel like mindset wise, we are just, um, you know, we're, we're playing on the same field, which is which is really cool. And it doesn't happen all the time. Um, ooh, I was going to. What if you got what if you have that boss? who who isn't into the the human element of of your life you know and you're 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 do you're successful you're doing great or maybe you're not doing so great you know but like how do you i'm sure you've worked with them before at yeah. some point yeah and, and like you don't have to say any names but you know what was going through your mind or, or how did you deal with that you know and i think that comes back to where you create systems and process and structure that's going to build out the best world for you like all you can control is you first and foremost. And, you know, I always look at it like, you know, I got to take care of my backyard before I worry about anybody else's backyard. There's no point in me yelling at Bob's backyard and wondering why he hasn't cleaned up the brushes or mowed the lawn yet. If I haven't mowed my lawn in two weeks. So first and foremost, I got to take care of my backyard. Um, and 
see value in differences. Um, and you talked about books and I kind of came mentally prepared to, to answer that. But one of the books that I've read is the book of joy. Um, and it's, uh, Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu, right? Oh, wow. Um, and pull like polar opposite backgrounds, right? Like they're, 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 Religious beliefs are coming from two completely different angles, and yet they find common ground. And so first and foremost, even if you have a boss that's coming at it from a different angle, I think once again, sitting down and understanding why they have that angle, like trying to understand their frame of thought. Because for me, my job is always to make my boss's job easier, mm-hmm. like become unfireable and irreplaceable. And how do I do that? I get my boss promoted because if he gets promoted, she gets promoted, more than likely I'm going to get promoted. Um, so first and foremost, that's my number one goal. How can I help them do their job better? And I might do a report differently. Like I'll never forget when I was in Atlanta, I had an individual that was my boss, my direct boss, and he had a background, um, with law firms and he transitioned into sports and he was overseeing sales. And so there was a little bit of not say friction, but it was just how he wanted reports done. I learned so much from him and, and I could have looked at it through a lens of like, this guy is coming from an outside world. He doesn't understand our business. He's pushing his thoughts. We basically had to put briefs together for everything that we did. Wow. Right. And very detailed, like three to five page briefs for anything we wanted to do. And he wanted it in a specific format, specific template, worded a specific way, even to the margins specifically, like using ones as opposed to A's to begin with. And then the A's were in the inside as far as the indent. Like he was that specific because that's the world he came from. Right. But my presentation skills grew dramatically over the course of those two years working with him. And initially, I would get so upset because I'd always get red marks when he would send it back. Like, yeah, this is good, but do this better. Do this better. And he constantly challenged me to get better. And so I think when you're working for a leader that you might not see eye to eye with, like, look at, say, okay, what are that person's strengths? What are they really good at? I want to gain those, those, that that's a resource for me. Like I can borrow somebody else's. And we always say it within legends at our company, every single day I have the opportunity to borrow somebody else's diploma. You know, I don't have a background in project management. I don't have a background in in food and beverage. I don't have a background in merchandise. I don't have a background in technology. I don't have a background in operations. Yet every single day I have access to people that are experts in each of those specific lanes. Let me lean in to those experts and allow them to coach and teach me. I was on a call earlier today. Um, and one of the gentlemen asked me like, Corey, you know, you don't have to stay on this call. And I said, no, I actually, I want, I'm just going to sit and listen. I need to understand how you're going to put together this P and L that way. If the client ever asked me, I can at least speak to it at a high level. And then if he asks a deeper level question, then I can say, you know what? Great question. I don't have the answer, but I can get the answer for you. And so for me, I think it goes back to that, you know, I'll call it curious George mentality. Yeah. Like, I just want to align myself and try to understand those individuals. And then, you know, I think over the course of time, too, when you're working for an individual like that, hopefully what you're doing is you're building your skill set, you're building your resume, and then ultimately you're going to make a decision. Like, is this a long-term fit? Because not everything has to be long-term. Like, going back to my parents, parents worked 35, 33-plus years at one place. I've worked at seven different places in the last, you know, 16 years gone are the days where you look at somebody's resume and be like, why do you jump around so much? Like, you know, you're allowed to explore and seek out different opportunities as long as there's a story behind why you left that previous place. Mm. And if I can go and say one of the places I left, I gained a story. 
Like I gained credibility. I gained knowledge. I gained resources. I understood myself better too, because I knew how to deal with an individual that I wasn't going to see eye to eye with, which you're always going to interact with individuals like that. And at the end of the day, remember where you're at in the totem pole too, though. Like I got to pay my bills. I know I manage up, not the other way down. Right. right? Not, not, not the other way around. Um, and the final piece too, though, is that I feel like oftentimes, regardless of our role, regardless of our discipline, regardless of, of what level we're at, um, we blame the boss, but we've never had a real talk with the boss, meaning we've never enrolled them. So if I reported to you, Seth, one of the first conversations I would have is say, Seth, you know, how, how do you want to be communicated to? How often do you want to be communicated to? What forms of communication do you want me to use? Like, do you want me to use face-to-face, email? Do you want me to set meetings on your calendar? Do you want to see emails on the weekend? Or do you want me to hold those off until 8 a.m. And just, if I'm going to work on the weekend, I'm going to hold off and sending them to 8 a.m. on Monday. Um, And that's something where I had to learn the hard way as well. When I was at Los Angeles Football Club, um, I thought I was showcasing my work ethic by sending emails at odd hours in the day because that was the culture that I had just came from. But in reality, they're like nine to five. Just like, you know, eight to five cent, do your work. Corey, what are you doing? What, 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 will you have something? And then you can do, like I would prepare on a Sunday from, you know, Sunday from six to eight o'clock is when I prepare for my Monday and I'll try to get all my reports done. And I'll do everything, but I would get everything done. I can still do that, but it doesn't mean I have to sit, hit send at 8 PM on a Sunday and then give somebody just that, that inkling of like, Oh, now I got to re- why is he sending me an email at this point? So I think understanding the dynamics of that relationship as opposed to assuming what that person wants and then also enrolling your boss and how you want to be led and how you want to be managed. So I would ask all those questions of you, Seth, but then I would say, and just so you know, like this is how I, I work best. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would prefer a face-to-face on a weekly basis where we go through kind of the checklist of items. In addition to that, we can go through areas where I want to grow we can also talk about, you know, future 30, 60, 90 day plans to make sure we're in a pr- proactive situation. Um, and if you do have critical feedback, I'd prefer that it's done face to face or over the phone, not through email. And I really want to stay out of email because I, I misinterpret things through email and I know the way I internalize emails and I keep them forever. Like I still have emails saved that act as motivation where I've been, you know, railroaded by bosses in the past. It's like, oof. Need a little extra motivate, you know? So like, I, I think it's also enrolling your boss and letting them know how you feel. Um, because all of us only know as much, if you've ever been in a relationship, one of the hardest parts is the communication where, you know, you have a conversation with your significant other and they're like, if you don't know, you don't, just don't get it. Like, are you, you know, why are you so mad at me? Like you got to have that two way communication. And so every relationship, the foundation is communication. And I think that's no different with a boss. Cause I don't have to see eye to eye with an individual in order to respect them. Um, and I think, you know, me liking an individual is way different than me respecting an individual. Yeah. Uh, it's, there is a clear difference between, you know, respecting or liking. And I, I personally, for me in the business world, it's all about respecting them. You know, you, you, you don't have to like who you're doing business with, but you have to respect who they are and, and how they do things. Um, or else, you know, there's confliction between that, that, you know, you and that person. Um, I think more so with you than anyone else I've had on the, on the podcast is that you really do value the human element and you bring that into the way you do business. And I think, you know, just from, from knowing you for as long as I have, like that's really fueled, you know, your growth. Um, 
it's just it's really nice to hear that there's there there's you and and people like you who really do include how to treat someone how to communicate with people and you value that in in business um it's it's just not everyone does that so i want I, I really want to acknowledge you for that and i think that's awesome you know? I, no, I appreciate it. And, that, and, you know, they can coexist. I think that's the other thing. In order to be business and early on, I felt like I had to be shrewd, mm-hmm. right? And and I had to be a little bit of a hard ass or I had to, to teeter that line. Um, and I think going through that process, I mentioned it was me against the world mentality. And I was almost like, I was so afraid of my myself because when I moved to Phoenix, I owned a suit. I had never been put in a business environment. And so I threw up these defense mechanisms, me against the world, to deflect my insecurities. And I go back to leadership. I think one of the one of the things I see in all the leaders that have led me, humility and vulnerability are probably the two prime components of being a great leader that mm-hmm. I've followed. And so for me, I want to exude that. And I also think it's a daily practice as well. And I can't, and Lori could speak to it. Anybody that that's ever uh, worked with me could speak to it. I have my moments, right? Like where I go off, but I also now am at a point, and I'd say over the last five to six years, where I'll make sure I apologize if I felt like I've wronged somebody. Like if I feel like I, I, at the heat of the moment, I said something that I shouldn't have, and I reacted with the fight or flight, I went fight, and I'll circle back in, you know, that day, and I'll do it at that moment. I won't wait a week. I'll say, hey, real quick, Seth, come over here. Um, I just want to apologize for the way I reacted. I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done it in front of the group like that. Shouldn't have said those t- those comments to you. That's on me. Won't happen again. You know that's not who I am. That's not how I'm built. But I'm a work in progress as well, just like everybody else. And I think that vulnerability too can create mutual respect, even if they don't agree with what I'm kind of who I am or my, what I'm what I embody. They can at least respect the fact that I'm trying. Um, and that that's a big piece of it as well. Have you ever read the book Extreme Ownership by yeah. Jocko Willing? Yes. That's yes. like that to a T. Yes. You know, you just got everything that happens in your life, you are responsible for and you have to take ownership for it. And I think once you do that, it's very, I don't want to say easy, but it's just part of your um, paradigm to uh, to own things like that. Like, hey, if, if I acted a certain way and that's not, that's out of who that's out of like, you know, who I am. Yeah. I'll, I'll apologize. I'll, I'll say, Hey, that's my bad. You know, and that I think more than anything else, people respect that so much. Um, I read that book, uh, extreme ownership and it just, it just like changed the way I, I, I thought and the way I'll, I'll think forever. Um, and I, I put that into my life. Literally, uh, if I, same thing, if I, do something that's out of my character, or if I uh, make a decision that's out of my character, I'll own up to it. It's, yeah. It. I. The, a situation has happened like that already. You know, I. I did something at work, and um, it it rubbed someone the wrong way, and I said, you know what? Hey, that's that is on me. You know, that's my fault. No problem. And then I caught saw someone else doing something uh, similar. And I told, and I, I recognized them for that. I said, Hey, that's not the way we do things here. We do it differently. And I didn't have any remorse, uh, telling them that I didn't, I I wasn't doing that to, you know, make them feel bad, but it was just like, Hey, I'm owning it. And I just want to let you know, 
you know, you have to own that too. Uh, yeah, no, I'm smiling. That, you know, I was fortunate enough to hear uh, from Jocko. He came to one of our events at Legends. We always had these speakers oh, that come. that's awesome. A, the most intimidating human being. Uh, doesn't have a neck, by the way. Built like a, <laughs> built like a refrigerator. Um, but I think it puts things in perspective, too, because he's dealing with life or death situations. And when he talks about his missions, and he always mentioned, like, default aggressive, right? If you remember that from the book, and it was one of those things. But you can be default aggressive if you're willing to be vulnerable on the back end. Yeah. Right. It's the default aggressive where they don't recognize or uh, admit their mistakes where then they're just arrogant. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that aggressive and arrogant are two different things, just like, you know, cocky and confident are two different things. Yep. And so he has the ability to be default aggressive because he's willing to be vulnerable on the back end and say, you know what? I was a little aggressive, moved a little fast. And in today's world, you do have to move fast. Like it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow, right? Like you yeah. have to do that. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, you providing feedback. We just had a, a summit where we got together as a group. And one of the comments we talked a lot about was Radical Candor, uh, which is another book out there. But I read it and it just stuck with me. And she, and I can't woman remember the woman's name, but look up the book. It's a phenomenal book. But she talks about us having a moral obligation, a moral obligation to make each other aware. Um, and it's, uh, and you know, I think it's care personally, but challenge, uh, I can't remember what it is. It's at the intersection, but one of them is care personally and challenge directly. And then we have a moral obligation to do that. And just because I make you aware or raise an issue or provide critical feedback, it doesn't mean that I care. It actually is the opposite. It means I do care. And the fact that I told you directly, is actually going to help you in the future. And, and I always would say it to people that reported directly to me, like, you're going to mother F me when you walk out the door. I know it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to be upset at me. But hopefully in 24 hours or 48 hours, you're going to come back and be like, that was helpful. That was beneficial. And I'm okay with that. Like, conflict can create resolution. Like, you know, steel, right? Iron sharpens iron type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a, another piece to it as well. Um, so, but yeah, the phenomenal book. I mean, how he owns everything, and I think that's a, uh, a piece of, whether it's personal or professional, we all encounter situations, and one of the biggest things I see in individuals that struggle finding success or finding their way is when they have that victim, victim mentality, um, and you know, I, can, I know when I'm sitting in a one-on-one or I'm doing a, a, a PIT plan, performance improvement plan, and the individual doesn't own it. And even if they're not at fault, you understand where you're on the totem pole. Like if I'm in a meeting with my boss and I knew it was somebody else, it's we, not me, like, right. And, and it's, it's not, um, we are the day we always say. So it's not Susie or John or anybody else. It's like, yep, understood. I'll get it right. Like I was in the arena. I was there. I should have said something. I could have said something, could have figured out a solution could have alleviated this situation a lot sooner. Like we are the day I'll own this. Even if I wasn't at fault, you just got to own it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then try to find solutions too. And I think that's a big piece of, you know, even go back to Jocko, like he's overseeing a mission with m- multitude of different like scenarios that are popping up things that you can't predict yet. He always owned it at the end. Right. And that he's, he used to say that that was my role as a leader. Like I took it on the chin, regardless of who on my team did it. Like ultimately it stopped, the buck stops with me. And I think that's a big piece of it too. Um, and not having that victim mentality and just owning it. 
this is a, this is a perfect segue for um, certain terms that are used in business. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to, to, to say about them. You know, CYA, cover your ass. And or <laughs> whose fault is it? Um, that comes up in business all the time. And they, uh, it, it affects, you know, it, it affects everybody. So as, as a leader in your business, how, how, how do you feel about words or phrases like that? I mean, it, it's, I, I, as I said before, the totally my opinion, and I don't mean to like skip over gloss over it or be naive that they don't exist. Um, I think that all comes back to, you know, what your, what your checklist is prior to entering into that company and trying to figure out you're interviewing them and it's cliche, but you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Um, and I know a lot of individuals that, you know, want to work for a company name or a brand. I'm much less concerned. If you look at legends as a company, we're not forward facing. We're not consumer facing. Nobody knows who we are. If I go to a dinner party and somebody asks what I do, I struggle to come up with a definition for it, but I chose that company because of the people. And I know those people, I'm aligned with their thoughts. I'm aligned with their beliefs. I'm aligned with the, the, the process that we're taking to get to where we want to go. Um, I know exactly what I'm going to get. They're very transparent. And so when I think about situations where you have those terms being floated around, I would say you need to do a, a hard detail, almost a, a debrief, an inventory of why you chose that position in that company in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard conversation to have, right? And that's a hard situation to be in. But if you didn't do your due diligence on the front end, then I kind of go back to the ownership. Like, you know what? I need to own that. Or if you felt like you did your due diligence, which I was in a situation for two years where I worked for a company, the very first year came to an end. I sat down with my boss. I'll never forget the conversation. And I just said, after one year, I said, this is not working. And I took the position with the intent, like I, 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 I thought they bought into my ideology. I, I was very transparent about my hedgehog concept. I was very transparent about how I was going to lead the cup of Joe's, all that. It just wasn't a fit. Right. And it was square peg round hole. And he goes, no, 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 no. Let's give it another year. And I said, got one more year in me. Like I'll give it my all. You know that I'm going to work my tail off, but I'm just telling you right now, like if it's not, if we, we're still not where we can coexist, I'm going to leave. And I think I didn't had no backup plan. Right. Right. But I think you're, if you're willing to bet on yourself a little bit too. So making sure that you have your categories, your checklist, your ideologies, whatever you want to say, your values on a board and making sure the companies you choose and the leader that you directly report to embodies those things. Cause you might not even, you might have a horrible president or you might have a horrible owner of a company that has normal, no moral ethics but if I'm five layers below that and I'm reporting to somebody, as long as I'm aligned with that person, I'm good to go. As long as I can learn yeah. from that person, I'm good to go. Like, don't get consumed by what's at five layers above you. You're, you're never going to interact with that individual. Who do I interact with every day? Do I align with that individual? Do I believe the same? Do I have the same beliefs? Do I feel like I can grow and learn under their tutelage? He or she, whatever they're going to teach me, coach me. Um, because oftentimes I think we, we get fogged over. Like we, we follow 
the shiny bright light type deal and we fall into situations where we probably didn't do enough due diligence. And then we get into a situation and it's six months later and we're like, wow, I made a mistake, but you don't want to admit that mistake. And then you blame your, and then you go home to your friends. And I'm sure we've all had roommates like this where like, my boss sucks. <laughs> like, well, what, what question did you ask in the front? Well, I just needed a job. Well, if you just needed a job, then you, you're just, that's exactly what you got. You got yeah. a job. If you would have told me you wanted a career, that's a different conversation. Like if you just want a job, you can have a job, but if you want a career, you got to have these, this filter for your decision-making, um, and try to find people that you align with. And then I don't think you fall into the bucket of having to deal with those phrases. Um, hopefully, and I know that's easier said than done, but like, I believe there's a lot of people. I look at my friends, you know, where we've gone. I look at, um, people that I'm close with in the industry, like for whatever reason, we've always fell into good situations. And I, I can't say that it's can't be all luck, right? We, 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 we've made good decisions. And I think all of us have the ability to make those decisions as long as we don't get blurred by that extra 15 grand, because after the 15 grand, especially in California, it's, you know, 7,500, 7,500 doesn't go very far. Like really <laughs> is the quality of your life worth that extra 7,500. And I think oftentimes in, in LA, especially like, you know it, I mean, you're in Manhattan beach, right? Like you can get caught up in that game. Oh yeah. And that's a tough spot to be. And I would, I would rather sacrifice that 15 grand every single day to have quality of life and alignment with my leader. Oh yeah, definitely. And you're right. People get stuck into that, uh, that situation all the time. Um, Oh, it's, it's, it's very interesting because I, I've even talked to my girlfriend about this. She's like, you know, do you want to stay in LA? And I told her, I, I love it here. It's, it's great. I think, um, Manhattan beach in particular, or the South Bay in particular, it's just, it's, it's full of so many, uh, growth mindset people. Uh, there's so many great things going on here. So many people doing great things and just like the, the flow of, of the talk that, that people have around here. It's Mm -hmm. so productive. I really like it. And I've personally have never been in a community that is like that. So for, for that reason, just for like the people out here, I always tell her, I was like, yeah, I I really want to, I kind of like it out here. And she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but it's so expensive, you know? And it's like, you know, 40, a hundred, 200 grand goes so much farther anywhere else. We can send her to Jackson, Michigan if she wants. Yeah. She can go check it out. Right. So, yeah. Right. I mean, we, <laughs> we both grew up, uh, in Arizona Yep. and you already know it's, it's awesome out there. It's hot, but yep. it is awesome. The quality of life, uh, you can literally be outside 365 days a year if you can handle some heat. Um, and in terms of, uh, cost, it's like half the price. Oh, for sure. Of for anywhere sure. in LA, you know? So, um, yeah, we, we have that conversation all the time and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's tough to even think about giving up what, what we have out here or being around the, the minds and the community that mm-hmm. that's out here. So yeah, it's just something that, that we're always, always thinking about. People always ask me that question too, is like what it's been like to live in so many different places. Um, and I go back to it, you know, I've been exposed to so many different cultures and obviously we're all in the United States. So it's not like I've, I've dramatically like traveled to where I had to learn a new language or anything like that. Um, but I would say if you look hard enough, you're going to find things that you like about a place. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find things that you don't like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every city has its, its own value. Um, and kind of going back to it, like it's what you put into it, right. And the mindset that you go into it with, um, but certainly, you know, we've had this conversation with my girlfriend as well. And just looking at LA as, as a stop, she's from San Francisco. So obviously West coast, but I think for me, from a career perspective, ideally what I'd like to stay in LA hundred percent. I like, like LA, love LA, but I never want to put restrictions on what if I had, you know, a great leader call me tomorrow and with an amazing opportunity. And I knew that I was going to be aligned with a human being that was going to help me grow personally and professionally, um, take out pay, take out job title. But he wanted me to do it in Houston, Texas. What's more important, right? And, 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 I, and I don't, and it's not, I don't know what I would do, right? But I go back to it. I don't need to create such a defined outcome for my future that it would prohibit me from exploring future opportunities. Yeah. And so I think that's where it comes back to like, make sure you do your due diligence. If I'm going to move to Houston, Texas and nothing wrong with Houston, Texas, but I better make sure that I'm a hundred percent lined with that move with that individual. Mm-hmm. And you got to make sure that, and then also what happens when that individual moves on? Cause I've moved to Atlanta. Like every, everybody I moved to Atlanta for, to work for the president, the CEO, the vice president of ticket sales, the director of ticket sales, within three years, they all left. Wow. So every single person that I had made the move cross country from Phoenix to Atlanta for, but what did that do? New person moved into the president role, new person moved into CEO role, new person moved into VP, new person moved into director, and plus I got additional responsibility. So not only did I get to meet, grow from four leaders previously that I knew that I wanted to work for, I got to learn and grow from four leaders that I didn't pick, that I didn't choose, but over the course of the next four years, I learned completely different skill sets going back to, you know, the CEO that we had that was a lawyer background that trained me how to do briefs. Yeah. And where presentation is king queen. And so are you willing to make that leap? But don't make that leap just for that person because you might not have them for forever. And you can't hold them accountable to always being there for you. Right. So, I, you know, not to say that that was your point, but I just think as you look at opportunities in the future... Like it comes back to those core values, those core principles. As long as you stay true to you, like I think you can find a way to make it work in any city. And I guarantee with what you're doing here, any city you moved in, you're going to attract like-minded individuals just based on the way we got connected. Yeah. Right. And and you're going to find those individuals. And I think that's the beautiful part about the meetings that we have access to now. You can use filters to make sure that your community is your community and you can block out the noise. Yeah, it, absolutely. You're so right. It's like that awareness factor is at an all time high, you know, if, if you'd like it to be for who you want to bring into your community and who you don't. Uh, I, I think that's a really great thing that we have going on for ourselves in, you know, 2020. Right. Um, I'd like to ask you, you know, what's, what's next for you? What are you, what are you looking to um, expand on or, you know, build, bring into your arsenal? Huh. Yeah. Um, so in my current role, uh, I'm chief revenue officer of a global attractions and we oversee multiple properties and the best way we can put it is they are observation decks and other attractions. So think 365 retail outlets, um, but like amusement parks essentially, right? But we have observation decks where the tallest building in each respective city. And we have this new line that we're going to come out with in no- November, which is going to be a fully immersive 5k experience. And 
we are the operators on behalf of our partners. So we're a completely white label operation arm. We handle every single discipline behind the scenes. We always lead with the brand. Uh, the brand's always kind of the forward facing because once again, Legends is not consumer facing. But I have the ability right now in my current role to get exposed to, and we kind of have this wheel of services, um, project management, feasibility studies, technology integration, all sales, including ticket sales, sponsorship sales, um, even procurement process through all of our vendors that we can utilize and leverage. And then we have this um, hospitality arm, so food and beverage, merchandise, uh, once again, technology integration to enhance the experience, so add-on incremental value dollars and, and incremental experiences that we can create for the guest on their journey. So the full wheel of services I get access to. And as I said, you know, I grew up and came up in the professional ranks as like the ticket sales individual slash sponsorship. I got exposure to sponsorship when I was at Los Angeles Football Club, and I got exposure to food and beverage when I was at Los Angeles Football Club as well. So every single day I'm learning something new right now. And I think for the first time in my career, and I wouldn't say even first time, but I'm with a company that I, I'm 100% aligned with. Um, the leadership that we have is tremendous. We're so top heavy when it comes to our leadership and yet somehow they find a way to make it work because there's humility in every single individual. Um, they're not like about rank. We're a fairly flat organization. We're not about an org chart. Um, there's a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of that default aggressive mentality. There's a lot of accepting each other's differences, right? And try to come to a common solution. Um, and I'm in total, like I'm in like paradise from growth mode perspective. Um, and I'm learning and growing every single day. Uh, I left, you know, sports, traditional sports where, I had kind of carved out a path and I think a lot of people are like, well, what's, what's he doing? Attractions. And at that point in time, we only had four properties when I transitioned over by the end of this year, we'll have 10. So we've grown tremendously just in two years. Mm -hmm. But at the, at that point, people question me. And I think, you know, for a long period of time, I, I felt peer pressure because I felt like I was being validated by my LinkedIn account. If that crazy as that sounds like I thought people would look at him like this move doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? And, you know, just being completely transparent, you know, I turned 40 later. This year, I, I could care less now. Like, you know, I'm fo once again, I'm focused on me and I've tried to be focused on, on being the best version of myself for a long period of time. But I think I'm finally come to a, a place of comfort with that where I'm no longer competing with the Joneses, if you will. Like I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm figuring out me um, and I'm going to continue to grow in this lane and I don't know what the future will hold. I honestly don't, but I feel like if I take care of today, that'll take care of this week, which will take care of this month, and the future will take care of itself. I feel like I'm at that stage in my career um, where I don't need to be preoccupied with a five-year, 10-year plan. Um, and I'll run into situations like this, and, and I'll have an opportunity to speak, and I think this is a great forum and this is a great opportunity. And this is something that if you would have told me a month ago that I was going to have the opportunity to do, I would have never thought it was feasible. And if somebody would have rewound the clock and said, you know, in 2020, Corey, where will you be? And say they asked me that question in 2016, absolutely no way, shape, or form would I have ever said I'm going to be CRO of Global Attractions. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what Global Attractions is. <laughs> and then if you fast forward or rewind, I should say, to 2013, 
and said, well, what's your next role? I would have never, ever said that I was going to be EVP of sales for Los Angeles Football Club. I'd never played soccer growing up. I didn't know a thing about MLS. I moved across country from Minnesota to LA to work for a team, a club that had no name, that had no mark, that had no colors, that had no stadium, that had no coach, that had no players. The list goes on. We didn't have anything. We literally created it out of thin air. We had a vision. They had a vision. And we were able to conceptualize that vision into vernacular to create a following. And I would say, and this is me, you know, unbiased opinion, a little bit biased, but unbiased now because I no longer work for them. Right. I think it's the greatest sports experience in all of LA. I truly do believe that. And if you haven't been to match, we'll definitely get you out to one, but it's a phenomenal experience. And now I understand soccer culture and it gave me the opportunity to travel abroad. Like I got to go to Europe and go to matches over there and go to cool. premier league games and like just those experiences. Like, and I think that's where it comes off back to just be willing to bet on yourself and just don't be so consumed by your desired outcome that you lose sight of the opportunities that are going to land in your lap just from doing your day to day. That's such a good way to look at it, you know? Uh, and it's a, it's a very resourceful way to look at it as well. You know, bet on yourself, continue to do what you love or, or progress in the way that you're trying to progress in and stay forward. It's a craft, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're all trying to uh, find a way to fine tune, refine our craft. And I think if you look at it through that lens and not get so preoccupied with the title or pay, and I know it's easier said than done, especially like, you know, we're 16 years later, right? Like if it was to my 24 year old self, I would have been so consumed by what's next. Um, but I think every year that passes, every day that passes, every month that passes, I get a little bit more comfortable. And I think that goes back to creating structure around the way you begin your day, the way you invest in yourself. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. And it was slow. Like when I was 27, I was way different than when I was 30. And I feel like I've gone through six iterations of Corey, right? Like I feel like I've, I've transformed myself multiple times and like shed the skin, developed. 30, developed, 33, boom, I'm a different person. 35, I'm a different person. 37, I'm a different person. 40, I'm a different person. Um, and so I think as long as you continue to grow and evolve and kind of keep that curiosity going, like the future would take, does take care of itself. And I know it sounds so cliche, but I truly believe that because like, if you go back to my beginnings, you know, I was a moderate student. I'm not the brightest. I'm not the smartest. I had a, you know, some challenges early on where I made some dumb, dumb mistakes in college, almost cost me some stuff. Um, and yet some way, shape or form, like I've aligned myself with really good people. And that's the common theme. I align myself with really good people and rising tides raise all ships. I've been able to kind of guide with them. And my first boss in Phoenix, um, he hired me out of college and guess what? How did I get the job with LAFC with Los Angeles football club? My first boss from college who I hadn't worked with in 12 years called me and said, Hey, I think you have an opportunity that you'd be interested in. And then who's my boss today? the same boss that I had when I was started my career. No so way. So come full circle, 12 years, we hadn't worked together, came out to work for LAFC. LAFC project comes to an end. He's like, we have this thing in attractions. And I would have never trusted anybody but him with the future of my career and my life personally and professionally. I would have never made this leap if it weren't for him at the helm because I believe in him. 
And I know he's not going to put me in a position to fail. And I think that's where it comes back to, you know, you talk about working in organizations, working in companies where you kind of have mismatched leadership, some shoddy leadership, whatever it might be, just align yourself with the right people. And, and, and maybe not even mismatched leadership, but just doesn't align with who you are or, or what you are looking for. And um, this, this conversation to me personally is so relevant. I mean, I, I can empathize with exactly what you were saying. Um, you know, people looking for just a title or looking for the company on their back. I was there. I was totally there and I'm, I made that decision and went to work like that. And, uh, it didn't serve me. It really didn't serve me. And I, I didn't know why I felt the way I felt, which wasn't good. And what I ended up doing over time is I, I went internal. I went internal and really asked myself, okay, what, what is it that I love about myself? What can I do? What can I provide and serve to others? And I tried so many different things. I mean, I, I got into acting for a little while. I thought, you know what, maybe I need to explore my, my creative self and go act. And I liked it. I actually got onto a, a couple TV shows, a couple movies. Um, I even, I'm in a, a series that's coming on on Netflix pretty soon. That's here. awesome. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and I will say being on set is awesome. It's really fun. But does it serve who I am that day in, day out? Does that serve who I am? Not necessarily. And it's nothing against acting. I love the entire community that I've been able to meet and work with. But um, through time and exploring and finding out like, okay, what is it that I really like? Because I, I don't want to put myself in a position to where I'm working uh, just to just to have the name on my back yeah, or yeah. to look cool for – to have this like cool persona <clears> – <throat> about myself. I really want to get into a position where I can serve and really, uh, bring it the best way that I can being the best me. And, um, I, I, I've found that I've found that through the podcast and talking to leaders like yourself. I was like, okay, what do I really love? I really love positivity. I really love, uh, you know, thinking and mindset. How can I feed that uh, that urge to talk about that, those types of things within myself. And I created the podcast Yeah, yeah. and now I'm meeting so many awesome, awesome people. Now this, the podcast might not be the end all be all for me. It might not be, but it's putting me around the right minds and, you know, um, like, like Lori, right? Like if I wasn't running the podcast when I met Lori, um, who again, for the audience is the person that connected me and you, Corey. Um, if I didn't meet her and I, and I wasn't running the podcast at the time, you know, who knows what we would have talked about. We might have still ended up meeting each other, but because I've been able to create this atmosphere, Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to talk with awesome, awesome leaders and put myself, you know, for the sports reference, on the same field yeah, to yeah. talk about things that really matter. And that's what really like drives me. So, um, I, I think it goes back to everything that you said. It's like, be better every day, become the best you, you can be. Don't just do it to, don't just do what you're doing because it'll look cool or, or, you know, it's, it's a big name that's going to be on your back. Find the things that serve you, find, find ways that you can serve others appropriately. 
you know, spot on, spot on. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I think all of us have taken that leap of faith and probably chosen the, that path, right. Where we either chose a title, chose pay, chose an organization. And I think that's completely fine too, though. Like, I, I think there's, there's beauty and failure, right? Like, um, I think making anything beautiful is messy. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's the, we are our boss. My boss always says like, not everybody needs to see the sausage making, like, right. what's going on behind the scenes. And so I think part of making those wrong decisions is valuable because you know, not to make them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where like, as a leader, I never want to talk anybody out. Like I, you know, a lot of times you get asked the question, well, what should I do? And I said, ah, whoa, whoa, back up. I'm not running your life. Like you got to run and operate your own life. You got to make those decisions. Those decisions are for you, your family, your loved ones. Like that's on you. I can advise you. I can guide you. But that ultimate decision, like don't ever ask me, what would you do if you were me? Because I don't ever want you five years from now to say, well, you told me to do this. Like that's where I go back. You got to own that. Yeah. Because if you go into the situation where you feel like you were talked into it, or you felt like somebody led you down the wrong path, immediately your first instinct, human nature, is to blame that individual as opposed to yourself for making that decision. And so for me, it's like, I want to have these types of conversations with you. I want to enlighten you. I want to inspire you. I want to hopefully talk about what you want, what your goals, what your aspirations are. And ultimately, if you decide to go work at YouTube, awesome. Do it. Go work at Apple. Go work at Beats, whatever it might be. And you might not have done your due diligence in five, six, six years. It might work out. It might not. But chalk it up as an experience. It's okay. Totally. And I think that's the other piece too is, is going back, you know, and it's a common theme, just being willing to bet on yourself. Like it's not going to be the end of the world if this doesn't work out either. And I think that's where you got to be willing to stand up for yourself if you do know it's not a cultural fit and being willing to, you know, work on the side, maybe call a couple, couple folks. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn's a beautiful tool, like other, <laughs> really other, other tools out there for job search, right? There's always recruiters everywhere. Connect with a couple of recruiters, connect for a cup of Joe, go out to lunch. And it doesn't have to have like, what I would always say is don't seek out those relationships when you need them, seek them out before you even know you, the, you're ever going to need them. And honestly, I think that's what you're doing right now. You're building out your Rolodex of all these great leaders that at some point, somebody's going to come to you and say, Hey Seth, you know what? I was thinking about you. You're like, oh, really? Well, what? Well, there's an opportunity, and I want to run it by you. And you're going to be like, what? The... Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to come out of the blue, and it might not be nothing, but it might be something great. And you're like, holy, that I would have never came across that if I didn't do this podcast for two years. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it, and you just got to put yourself out there and try different things. Um, and, and then I think by doing that, if you're consistent with it, and you're true to yourself throughout, and people respect you, and they know that you kind of have, like, at your core, you're a good human being they're going to reciprocate back. Yeah. And, and it kind of goes back to what you said as well, right? Like you gotta, you gotta choose the people that you're putting around yourself. Like you said, you want to be positive and you want to be around positive people and you have found those people to be around, whether you're, you're, uh, working at the time or if you're in a social atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things that I have found about the podcast is that I've, somehow in a awesome way, put myself around people who have just started. They, they just started something, you know, like the guys from mind pump. I was lucky to, 
I was very fortunate to interview Adam in San Jose in the Mind Pump studio. Those guys started their podcast literally in in a, a living room like this. And now, I mean, they're in a, you know, seven-figure they're, – they're, they're making seven figures every year from a podcast. And they're having the times of their lives. Crazy. The, the last episode um, right now as we're recording this that I just published was – um, this guy named Chase Tuning, he's a little older than me. He's a he's an army vet, and he started his podcast Ever Forward f- three or four years ago, uh, with the intentions of like you know it's it's his passion project. But now he's got over a million downloads. Um, he's a coach. He speaks at events, and the podcast is literally supporting him and and his life. And he's like, I would have never guessed this, but you know I. I I talk to people about great things every day and I've been able to build this audience. You know, it, they just started. And I think that's been the theme of, of a lot of people that I'm having on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like yourself, you know, you, you just put yourself out there. You, you got out of your hometown, not knowing what you really wanted, but you knew you wanted to, to get out and expand yourself, you know, grow yourself because you knew more was out there and you just went. Yep. And look how it served you. No, I mean, it, it's no way, shape, or form did I plan this, right? Like, I yeah. think that's the first piece. But I think also looking back at, uh, you know, my parents, and I was very fortunate, strong work ethic, but also not understanding, like, not attached to materialistic things. And, and what I mean by that is that my parents made 45 to 50 grand a year for 30, you know, whatever, at the end, right? Um, and... I'll never forget when I was in college, I was an advertising promoting promotions major, uh, accounting minor. And I originally went to college to be an accountant, but the only reason I went there, cause I heard that they made 55 grand when you graduated and got your CPA. And I said, if I could make 55 grand when I graduate college, I'd be rich. And then when I went to Phoenix working for the Phoenix suns, I made seven fifty an hour plus commission. So, you know, what's that? 23 grand over the course of a year or something like that. Yeah. Um, and if I, at that point in time, and, and there was definitely friends that did this or people that did this, acquaintances, I shouldn't say friends, acquaintances that mapped out and said, I want to make six figures. And that was like how they dictated their, that was their decision-making matrix. Not saying that's wrong, but going back to what are your personal beliefs, that money was never going to be a motivator for me. So for me, I led with, what do I like about the individual that I'm going to work with? Like, do could I see myself being motivated to do more than I would be able to accomplish on my own under their leadership. Mm-hmm. Can they push me to my extremes? Can they get, they get, are they going to squeeze as much as they can out of me and see what I'm capable of doing? That's how I've made my decisions throughout my entire career. And the money might not have been there in the beginning, might not even been there in the middle, right? There was times where my first leadership position in Atlanta, every two weeks I'd have the notification on my apartment. It was my first leadership role. Um, but I took a pay cut to get it and I would have the notice rent due rent late. And I knew that I had until the 21st to pay the rent because my check would hit the second week. And that was, I'm 27 years old and I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure out how to pay rent. And I would go into the office and I'm a manager of 20 people and people, if I would have ever told those individuals that I'm living paycheck to paycheck, they would have been like, what the, yeah. Right. And that was a grind. 
straight grind. But you, you kind of going back to it, like that was a passion. I knew if I invested and I just committed to that path and to that career, sooner or later it would come to fruition. Yeah. And then the top blows off and then it's like the, the mind pump folks where it's like, what in the world just happened? Yeah. <laughs> but the three years prior to that, nobody sees the three years of the grind. Right. Right. They only see the seven figures and they're being able to support themselves. And so I think going, I'll never forget those days showing home. And I knew that it was going to be there. I was waiting for them to lock the door. I'd miss rent that month and I didn't have enough money in the bank account to take care of it. Right. And yeah. college loans and all this other stuff. Um, and you're just trying to figure it out. You're trying to piecemeal it together. And same way when I was with the sons, I'll never forget. I mean, dinners were going to the local uh, AMPM and getting a 45 cent Mountain Dew because I thought they would fill me up and getting a, a, you know, a bag of popcorn. And for a dollar, I got my dinner. Yeah. And right. And you're just, you're trying to make ends meet. You're trying to make it work. Um, and I, I think there's, there's value in that though because I wasn't attached to a certain outcome. Like I didn't feel like I was losing. I just knew I wasn't at the point where I was winning yet. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. You know, um, second quarter or maybe third quarter, a hundred percent. The game's not over. Yeah. I got time. I got time. This is all part of the game plan. Like mm -hmm. I'm still, I just got to stay competitive. I got to stay in. Cause if I get knocked out, then I'm out. Like I right. can't get back in. And there's a lot of people that in the industry of sports and entertainment, and you know, it, Acting's a lot like that. You just got to stay in the game. Totally. And so many people, it's almost like, uh, you know, survival of the fittest type mentality where if I can just hang on long enough, if you're in an acting class, I'm sure there's 10, 15, whatever, 20 people in there. You know, if you can just outlast like 19 of them, you got a chance, right? Like it's just survival of the fittest a little bit. It's totally a numbers game. I right? mean, almost any, any major industry, it's, it's totally a numbers game. You just got to keep on going and going mm -hmm. and going, keep on showing up. And, you know, you, if you keep on producing or if you learn how to produce better, yes, learn how to produce better every day, um, you know, you, it, it'll serve itself. Therefore it will serve you and therefore it will serve others too, you know, a hundred percent. Cause the last thing you want to do is if the tough decisions have to be made in any organization, they're always going to come down to that. You never want to, to be a line item and yeah. you, you want to have a face and you want to have, um, some level, and I go back to the humanize it. If, if, if I'm going back to that conversation with the accountant, or if I'm going back to the conversation with HR or whoever it might be, I never want them to go down the line and say, well, this, let's just remove that role. Mm -hmm. I want them to say, well, we can't remove that person. Yeah. Right. And I think about, if you look at your day to day, if I were, if the company was ever put in a difficult decision where they had to eliminate headcount, cause they're always going to come to that would they look at that as they were removing a role or would they look at it? They're removing a person. And I've always strived to make sure that they knew who I was and that they would, they were removing a person. Um, and I think that goes back to unfireable and irreplaceable. Like I want them to know that I'm valued above and beyond the numbers I produce. Yeah. Like there's, there's deeper value here. Um, and then you, you invest in me, I guarantee I'm going to pay off. I'm, 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 you know, 10 years, five years, four years, three years, two years, I'm going to pay off. Just continue to keep me on board. So, and I think that mindset actually, um, I think that uh, is is like a three hundred sixty degree thing, right? Like it it matters at the end, in the middle, and even in the beginning. When I would talk to kids about how to get the job that they wanted, you know, I would always tell them like, "Hey, make yourself a person. Make them make them want to hire a person. Don't make them want to hire a resume. Find ways to become." 
a person to the hiring manager or, or a person to someone within the company, you know, uh, develop that, that human relationship and don't just be a resume because if you know, uh, Frankie, you'll hire Frankie over, uh, you know, Peter, who you've never met before, but has, you know, 4.0 from Northwestern. You you don't know that person. Spot on. And, and, you know, I've interviewed, been fortunate enough to interview a lot of candidates over the course of my career. Um, And the common theme, and and this is something, can't remember where we created, I think I was in Atlanta when we created it, but we basically created a character ladder of how we would evaluate candidates. And we had a scoring system and we try to, you know, you talk about subjective versus subjective, right? And just trying to eliminate that. Um, and I'll interview candidates today, regardless of the role. And I'll just say, Seth, stop. I got your resume. Don't care about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like at this stage of the game, if you couldn't do you, you, if you couldn't do the job or if you weren't qualified to do the job, like we wouldn't be having this conversation. So let's just start there. Talk to me about your upbringing. Talk to me about your parents, your brothers, your sisters, how you fell in love with this industry, what led you down this path. Just give me any vitals that you feel like would be important for me to know about who you are as a human being. And then I'll answer any questions you might have. And I can't tell you how many times where people are like, whoa, holy, you bro, what? This is totally <laughs> different, totally different approach. But I, and then I caveat at the end, like, this is who we are. Like, this is who I am. So if you're going to work at one of our properties, like just know the way I started this interview is the way I want us to continue because I want to understand who you are as a human being. I want to understand what makes you tick. I also want to understand that you have your partner, your significant other at the house. I want to understand that you have a bulldog or a pit dog, whatever it might be like, you know, that you've had for five years. That's your best friend. Like I want to know those intricacies because I think at your core, the way you're woven, the fabric that you're woven with is going to remain relatively the same. Meaning that the way you were raised when you're 13, kind of the same intangibles that you had when you're 13 are going to be relatively the same intangibles when you have your 23 that are the same as when you're 33 and so on and so forth. All you're doing is building blocks. You're building on them. But if you never had, you know, integrity, I'm not at the age of 25 or 30 or 35, I'm not going to be able to teach you or coach you or get you to buy into integrity if you've never had it. Mm-hmm. And so we just really focus on core principles and human characteristics and we hire people and teach skill set. And, uh, I think that's something where you look at a lot of the successful companies and you even hear like an Elon Musk, he's tweeted recently where he'll make statements like, you don't even need a high school degree. You can work for Tesla. Like he, he wants to find people that have that growth mindset that just don't want to apply themselves. And he doesn't care that if you have like an engineering background or whatever it might be. And I, I think, you know, in today's society, sometimes we overcompensate the value of a piece of paper and we undervalue the core pillars of that human being. Well, that's just the mindset, the cultural mindset for one company X versus one company Y. I think it, I I don't know if it's personally, I don't know if it's, uh, like a whole we thing. I just think it's, it's personal company to company, what they value over others. And it's just great to hear from, from, from you and, you know, the way it sounds with, with legends that you guys really do invest in the human element like that, that matters. Um, which is, I don't know if, if I were, if I was the audience and even me sitting here, I just think that's freaking cool, you know, uh, cause there are so many businesses that I've worked with where that's not prevalent. It's all, it's all bottom line. And that's the only thing that matters. Right. Not that that doesn't matter. Oh, they did matter. It's, it's It's a driving force. It's still priority number one, but there, 
there's uh, there are other elements to that that you know you guys care about. Yeah, and I and I'd say I'm the perfect example. I mean, I'm a, I'm in no way, shape, or form by my resume. Am I qualified to do what I'm doing right now? Mm-hmm. Legitimately, like the attractions landscape, the hospitality landscape, the background and operations. I'm lacking all those skills, but I go back to it. They bet on me. They believed in me enough, which automatically made me believe in myself that I could pick it up because once in somebody empowers you, like belief is a strong, strong word. Hmm. I believe you can do this and I'm going to empower you to do it. And you're going to figure it out. Like you just created, like you just, I'm, I'm a giant right now. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and that, that's, that was why I fouled my boss. And, uh, and that's why I fall in love with legends is because they truly do invest in their people um, and that's where they're going to invest in human capital. I'm going to put all my money in human capital because at the end of the day, if there's complex solutions or complex problems, I should say, human capital is the only thing that's going to get us the ability to solve those complex problems and smart people from a diverse, diverse background, I think is killer too. And that's where they've seen value. And I've seen value in my role now is like, we're all from different paths, right? We all come from different backgrounds, but combined, we're kind of like the A-team type deal coming together. Yeah. Um, and it and it just works. And so I think that's the beauty of, of what we do. And I think other organizations, like you said, there's other organizations that are definitely like that out there where they'll invest 100% in the human capital side of it. Um, and they can teach you process and they can teach you structure and they can teach you like this, that, and the other, you know, widgets, whatever it might be. Like all that stuff can be learned. Um, we're not incapable of learning. We're actually powerful. Like that's one of the strongest muscles we have, right? Is our brain like put that to use. And then that goes back to mundane. Do you want to continue to do the same thing over and over again? And if it is the same, even if your tasks are the same thing, there's different ways to think about it through a unique lens that can speed it up. I mean, there's multitude of different articles out there where the person working the line, the front lines has created a solution that has saved the company millions of dollars because they were empowered to come up with that solution. And because they didn't just look at their job as I'm just here to produce widgets. Right. I'm this, this could be so much more efficient and I'm going to create a process and I'm going to take it to my boss. And obviously you got to be empowered to do that. But like, that's where I go back to, you're never limited by your job, your role, your responsibilities. You create those roles and responsibilities. Like I, I think, I believe. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's, where, where you're at right now, that, that matters for everyone that you're working with, which I think is awesome, you know, at collectively as a, as a whole, it's like you, you guys care about, um, you guys are leaving ego on the side and you, and you care about the mission. Yeah. Right? Like what, what can we do to get the mission done? Yeah, I get it. You, you know, I'm just role playing here. Like you're an accountant, but you have this great idea that may fit over here it's not accounting well we can look into that it sounds like like that might be oh 100 up the alley 110 percent. that's the way we roll um everybody every single person has an opportunity to have a voice yeah well i, I want to give you the chance also to talk about um your, your your passion and things like this i know you run an internal podcast uh with with legends did you did you create that uh and <laughs> And why did you create, or if you created it, why did you create yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the first position that I've held where I've overseen staff remotely. 
Um, and so living in the digital age, trying to find a way to create connectivity. And I would say real authentic connectivity. Um, and the beautiful thing about, you know, podcasts, whether it's, it's, it's over this, like you're just listening in, or if you have video, you can do those as well. Um, one of the complaints from the attraction side of the business, because we were so small, we didn't have really like a corporate structure was they didn't feel connected to the bigger engine of legends and legends has worked on some amazing projects. Um, they're currently working on amazing projects. You know, they work in collegiate sports. They work in, uh, entertainment with live nation. We run and operate 40 amphitheaters across the, the, the United States. Um, you know, we're currently working on SoFi stadium. We're the project manager, the full wheel of services, project manager, feasibility study, all of our ticket sales, premium seating sales, suites, club seats, loge boxes, general seating sponsorship. So SoFi, the name legends was the one that landed that naming rights. Um, and even on the back end, we're going to handle hospitality, food and wow. beverage and merchandise. And so we've been a part of that and that's, you know, a $5 billion build out of basically a smart city, um, right here in Englewood. Um, and we worked in Vegas on the new Vegas stadium for the Vegas Raiders. And we did the, we sold through all that inventory, both on the premium seating side, general seating side, and also the sponsorship. So we work on these high profile projects. We work in Alabama, Wisconsin, Villanova on collegiate projects, um, and attractions. We run and operate one world observatory in New York city, which gets 2.5 million people a year. Like it's no small feat. Like it's right, right near the world trade centers, right where they used to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, phenomenal views great views in New York city, amazing experience, um, really a beacon within the financial district. And yet our team there didn't feel connected and in trying to find a way to create an authentic connection, I immediately went to all right podcasts. And so we created the third Thursday of every single month at 9am Pacific. We do a podcast across attractions. There's a dial in number, you know, I get on camera, me and you would be on camera and we'd be having the conversation remotely because typically one of the individuals, the guest is in some other city because right. we're all remote um, and just trying to put a face with a name. And I, I take people that are in leadership roles um, from every single discipline. So it isn't just sales oriented. One time we had the GM of Bank of California Stadium on there and he's the GM of F&B for Bank of California Stadium. Another time we had the Western region uh, food and beverage individual that handles all of our West coast accounts. Another time we had the vice president of collegiate athletics legends side, where he's in charge of all new business development. Uh, another individual was in charge of the U S open and she was overseeing that project for us. Another one, she was in charge of partnership sales out of our Dallas office mm -hmm. and every age group, every background, every role, every discipline, Third Thursday of the month, you can tune in, uh, you can dial in, you can see us, and we call it the Power of Moments podcast uh, after a book that I was gifted uh, by one of our leaders, and it just talks about the impactful moments that we have throughout our day and, and how we measure them, and uh, moments of elevation, moments of connectivity, mo moments of authenticity, uh, you know, moments of elevation, and I literally will just ask those questions. I'll lead in with, talk to me about those moments. What were the most impactful moments of connection? What were the most impactful moments of elevation? What were the most impactful moments of like, aha, where like the light bulb went off? Um, and what are the most prideful moments in, in your career? And after that, on the left and the right-hand side, all the guests can enter in their own individual questions and spend the last 15 minutes kind of going through those questions. And we spend an hour and I tape it um, and I send it out after the fact. And we're going into our second year. Um, we just got to talk 
the last month to the president of Legends International, who sits in our London offices. Awesome. Phenomenal story, background, very ironically enough, similar to mine. Came back, you know, he's a, a lawyer by trade, got into feasibility studies for stadiums because he knew how to uh, write the contracts and figure out all, all those elements for it. So he learned the feasibility side because he was writing out the contracts and negotiating those deals. And now he works for Legends International. He's in charge of all new business development for all of our business over there. Um, and he, you know, has a pl plethora of experiences, uh, wide range of experiences, but he spoke to 50 to 60 people on our attraction side. And ironically enough, you know, kind of going back to the plan was never to have this grow outside of attractions. By no means, this is totally like selfish, if you will, for the team that, that kind of, I report, I report to and report to me. Um, and then corporate got wind of it and said, Hey, we hear you're doing this podcast. What's going on? Can you tell us more about it? And now it's turned into, we'd like to look at it for all of legends. And would you want to be a part of that? And would you want to host it? And so I don't know where it will go. It might not come to fruition. Might, might, who knows, but it very well could turn out to being a podcast for all of legends as a company. And I could be the one kind of sitting in your seat and leading that charge. And so, um, once again, I think it's just trying to create human connections and trying to give people inspirational points that they might not otherwise have had access to. And if I can be that conduit, like, that's cool. That That's kind of my role. I view as a leader is to be the connector for people so that they can see something that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to see on their own. And have you received pretty good feedback? Yeah. Um, the, the worst feedback that I received, and I'll start there because I'll never forget it. It's uh, I sit in an office um, in Culver City and I literally, this exact same desk you have is my, my desk, right? And legitimately with a laptop. I mean, it's a <laughs> WeWork station. Yeah. And one of the comments was like, you could put up something behind you because you don't have anything. And I'm like, well, it's not really my permanent office. I kind of pop in and pop out, but that's the worst feedback I've got. So I think that's good. Cool. If they're worried okay. about the background. Um, but yeah, I think it's been phenomenal for the team to, to get exposure to. And I go back to it. It's, I haven't received overwhelming feedback, but the one or two people that have reached out have said like, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. It's opened up my eyes. Um, and I got a note right after the new year, an individual that I haven't spoken to, he moved on different role. Um, not even in attractions anymore, sent me a note and just said, you know, I just wanted to write, you know, and I was thinking about what I'm grateful for, like kind of turn of the year, like super appreciative of everything you do and how much you invest in us and the fact that you had a podcast. And that's where I go back to as long as I'm impact, and I don't even know when I'm impacting people and you don't know when you're impacting people, you don't know when what's going to resonate with a listener, but you're not about that either. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the piece. If you can go ahead and check that ego and just say, it's not about me. Right. Um, I'm doing it you know, for a little bit about me, like I want to generate, I want to like encourage myself, I guess, if you will, mm -hmm. motivate myself, inspire myself, but hopefully through inspire myself in a positive manner, I'm going to inspire somebody else. 100%, 100%. What can I, what can I do for you? What can I, like, how can I, how can I serve, serve others? others? But yeah. seriously though, in, I think it's so smart to do it within the company because if you're, if you're serving others that way, like who are working with you, that only goes full circle and that comes right back to you. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm invested in them and they can utilize those tools. And once again, going back to, if they're not going to read the book, I'm going to take the book to them. Yeah. 
right? If, if they're not willing to listen to a podcast, I'm taking the podcast to you because I can make it mandatory for some people. <laughs> of um, and then I can always follow up and say, what have we implemented? How do we teach? And then hopefully what I'm displaying to the leaders within attraction side is that you got to think of alternative mechanisms to reach your people because your voice is going to get dull at some point. It's going to fall in deaf ears because the amazing thing about like just us as humans, my mom could tell me, the same message a million times and then my dad would have to say it once or vice versa. My dad could tell me the same message a million times. My mom said it once and all of a sudden I sat up in my chair. I'm like, oh, yeah. she used my middle name, Corey Michael. Like I'm in trouble, <laughs> right? And, and Everyone so, can relate to that. <laughs> right? And so I, I think from that perspective, you never know what's going to resonate. So you got to try a bunch of different mediums. Like I always talk about, I'm going to verbally articulate it. I'm going to I'm gonna write it out. I'm going to send an email and then I'm going to follow up um, again with verbal like hey this is what i said repeat back to me what i just said and so i'm going to hand you a piece of paper i'm going to email you the exact same note and i'm going to verbally articulate so i'm going to communicate in three different forms the exact same message to make sure it sinks in and then at the end of the day if it doesn't sink in in a week from now two weeks from now if you're like oh yeah i i don't understand that i don't get that i can point back to either of those three mediums that i used and say well why didn't you raise your hand at that moment like if you didn't understand, like it's not, a, you know what? Cause I always look at it. If you didn't get it, if you didn't understand or you didn't interpret what I was trying to say appropriately, that's on me as a leader. That's on me as a communicator. Cause I probably did a poor job. Mm-hmm. So help me help you. Like, how could I have done this differently? How could I have communicated this differently? So you got it. And, uh, and that's something when you're leading remotely, that happens to me on a weekly basis where I'll get an email back and I'll immediately get like frustrated cause it's not the way I, I intended for them to interpret it. But then I have to take a step back and be like, that means I did a poor job of communicating it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, wait a second. What did I do? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. You have to take a step back. So, um, and I know we, we brought it up earlier. We've been talking about books this whole time, but I really want to just zone in on this for, for one question. Uh, what are the books that you would recommend to others or maybe not recommend to others, but that you just have made an impact in your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of them we've already mentioned, but I'll definitely repeat them. I mean, and I'll list them out um, in kind of the order, reverse order, right? So meaning that at each stage of my career, at stage of my life, a book has impacted me in a different way because it's what I needed at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, I think I've got that... In my Kindle, yeah. Okay, so by Viktor Frankl, he's the psychiatrist that was in the concentration camp. Um, He discusses suffering, and everybody encounters suffering, yet how do you deal with it, how do you overcome it, and more importantly, how do you position it in a positive manner? Mm -hmm. And he put a positive spin on a concentration camp, um, which is incredible. So, yep. And it's you there. got, you got, can't right hurt me. You got, can't hurt me, which I, I, I love as well in a different manner, but man search for meaning. And, um, that was one where I, uh, I've read a book tribe of mentors by Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. And in the book, for those that don't know, he basically blindly emailed all the smartest people that he ever encountered his entire life or had an encounter, just knew about 10 questions. Some responded, some didn't. Some responded to four questions. Some responded to all of them. And he created a book and it's called Tribe of Mentors. One of the questions was, what's your favorite book? 
that was the answer that was repeated the most when I was reading that. So I'm like, I got to read this man's search for meaning. Like I have to read that. Um, so on, ironically, I read a book to get a book type deal. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of other books that came from that. So I'd say that's one of them. Um, book of joy. I mentioned, uh, I talked about, you know, uh, Dalai Lama, Archbishop Tutu, and really it talks about happiness is fleeting. Joy is everlasting, which I think is, is a very like poignant, like, you know, like, like thing to hit on. Right. Like a lot of times, especially in today's society, I think we seek out happiness, like through the dopamine effect, through the phone. Yeah. Likes. I got to see that heart. I got to see how many likes. Um, but it's fleeting because as soon as you get it, you want more. Right. It's like adrenaline type deal where joy, I think comes back to your purpose, your why that that's everlasting. You can't take that away. And I feel I can be on that high for days. And so that was really good for me at that point in time in my life. Um, Thinking Girl Wrench, Napoleon Hill. That was my late twenties, completely flipped my paradigm as my perspective. You know what? I'm going to be a positive mental attitude. Anything I believe in, in anything I uh, conceive and believe I can achieve. That was kind of the quote that always stuck with me. Um, and so that put me in a positive mindset. And then, um, the other one that I had mentioned, uh, what was it? Uh, the Jim Collins one, good to great, where I got the hedgehog concept. And then the first book that I ever got when I first started in, in Phoenix, uh, was fantasy land to the rat race, which is a, a, a funny small book, but it just taught me how to be a professional. Um, and it, it talked about like, owning a suit and when you go on sales appointments and making sure that you have a, another shirt in the car and like in case you spill coffee, like really dumb, idiotic things. But it was like baseline level, like this is how I become a professional. And in the back, you know, it talked about goal setting. So I wrote down my goals of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And so, um, you know, each of them have, have played a role at that pivotal point and they've almost acted as tipping points in my life. Um, but the fantasy land of the rat race was great. Then I was kind of like the 10th grade history teacher. Then I read good to great and created my hedgehog concept. Then I realized I was leading through negativity or anger. I read think and grow rich. These people went through the great depression, somehow remained positive. Like my life's not so bad. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, those, uh, those notes on my door at the apartment that tell me I my rent's late. Like, it's okay. I'm going to make it through. That's literally at the point when I was reading that, um, Book of Joy was a gift that I got through one of our leaders at Legends, and it happened at the time when both my parents, uh, my mom passed away from cancer in uh, in November of 17. My dad passed away, I think, of a, a broken heart, uh, you could say, in July of 18. And so I needed something to recenter me, and it talked about, like, all right, joy is everlasting. Like, I got to celebrate life. Like, that was a good. And then Man's Search for Meaning was just me trying to figure out, like, I'm all right, I'm growing up. I got to figure this thing out. I'm on my own now. What is my meaning? Like, what do I want my legacy to be? What do I want on my tombstone? What do I want to be remembered for? Um, and who do I want to, and this is morbid a little bit, but who do I want to show up at my funeral? And what do I want them to say about me? And I think that book has kind of created that moment for me where it's like, okay, this is my purpose. This is why I've been put here. I need to be committed to this. So I've got to acknowledge you for another thing here. You're the first person who's answered that question with a chronological purpose, <laughs> you know? Uh, um, and I'm just seeing you, like, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but like having that, the basis of like a Ted talk, I don't know if that, if you've ever wanted to do anything like that, yeah. but I could totally see you up there being like, okay, this is me at this point, And this is the book that I read and this is what I got from it. And then boom, th from that, 
you know, I had this experience and then I read this book and this is like, you could totally put it on, uh, you could totally make it like, this is how books have affected me or this is how I've developed or both or yeah, yeah. something like no, that. No, I never thought about that. So, well, neither <laughs> there you go. Give me an idea. Till I, like, you know, we're, yeah. we're in it right here. I was like, wow, this is really neat. This is cool. And, and it, it's, it's so relatable too, right? Cause like books do affect you or, you know, um, anything that directly affects your train of thought will affect you physic uh physically as well and your position in life or you know your atmosphere per se. Uh so that was a really cool way to answer that question and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everyone that I that <laughs> I have on the podcast now like hey this is this is like a way you might want to phrase yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was really, really neat. Um, well and I, I think it's part of the journey, right? Like we're when you go back to it at the at the we all go through elements. We all go through experiences, ups, downs, whatever it might be. Um, and I always get asked the question, especially early on, like what sales books would you recommend? And I always come back to it. Like I never intended to be a salesperson. So I've never read a sales book. Like I look at sales as more like psychology than anything. Right. And that's where I go back to the human piece of it. And so for me, all these books tie back to the psychology of the reasons why we make decisions or what we do. And I go back, you mentioned it earlier, motivation or inspiration. Like what do I believe in motivation? Like these are all inspirational books that I've used to motivate me. Yeah. Right. I start with inspiration and then I find motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I reverse engineer things and I don't know where that comes, why my mind thinks that way or why I did that. But, um, those were all pivotal books. Like when you asked the question prior to this podcast, I started to think through what were those tipping point moments in my life and what books made an impact that I would recommend, or even if I didn't recommend them, like just that I know are always going to be on that bookshelf and I can always point to and go, ha, I remember that one. Cause there's a lot of books I read where it's like in out, like I remember extreme ownership, mm-hmm. But it wasn't at maybe it didn't I didn't read it at a pivotal point in my life. Right. Right. And it just so happened I picked these books up or these books chose me. I think a little bit of it too. Things fall into place. Like I do believe in like right serendipity. Some things work out. Yeah. But they fell into my lap at that point in time and they made an impact and it was when I needed them as well. Um, and that's the key piece. Man, I, I appreciate the thought process that you put into answering that question. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for that. Yeah. Um, the another question that I always ask is who, who are your mentors and what are your most valuable or favorite mentor moments, whether that you, whether you gave or, or received? Yeah. Um, I thought about this question as well. And I would say, um, my, I just being fully transparent, vulnerable initially, um, I would say you know, my initial take, and I go back to that anger, like I wanted to be my own hero. Um, and I mentioned my parents and, you know, very fortunate, but yet, you know, very unusual set of circumstances, a lot of abuse, a lot of alcohol abuse, a lot of drug abuse growing up, like not a good set, not, not a good standard. Right. And they worked their tail off. They're very blue collar. Um, and they always showed up to work regardless of what happened the night before. Mm -hmm. Um, but they didn't exactly set the stage for me to go, well, that's my model. Right. And a lot of times my parents would look at me, don't be like, don't follow my path. And so going into it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be my own hero. I don't need a mentor. 
Like I'm going to be my own person. And that's part of what drove me away um, as well is like I needed to get out of Jackson because it was like this abyss of just abuse and alcoholism and, and drug addiction. And I knew sooner or later, if you're surrounded by it, right, you're a product of your environment, you're surrounded by it. I knew it was going to attack me. Um, like I remember going to growing up, like I saw my brothers in rehab or in jails more often than I saw them out. Right. right. Like it was just one of those deals. So it's like, and they're all great, right? They're great now. They're recovering, like no, no beef on that. And they learn from their experience. But for me, it was like early on, I didn't really, I didn't know what a mentor was. So I didn't even know how to seek out one or I didn't know how to accept one, I think, because I was so resistant to somebody being brought into my life and be able to impact my life because everybody I had encountered up to that point had told me one thing and done another. Yeah. And so I had barriers for the first five, six, seven years of my career where it was like, I'm resistant. And that's where I go back to. I was very fortunate to work with individuals and I'll never forget my first moment where somebody invested in me. Um, I started in June of 2004 selling once again, we're trying to sell season tickets, Phoenix Suns, blah, blah, blah. Um, got a goose egg on the board after two months. I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm going to get sent back home. Like I got nothing. I'm making seven fifty an hour. This is like the Mountain Dew popcorn days, right? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to put gas in the tank. Luckily my roommate and we're paying really cheap, cheap rent. But even at that point I was leaning into him being like, you can cover me, right? Like you got me, I'll get you back. I get, you know, and I even got a second job at played against sports. So I'm doing the first job during the week. I'm doing played against sports on the weekend. Right. Um, trying to make ends meet. And he goes, your issue is that you're, you're so you, you, your communication skills, you don't have the ability to communicate in a forum over the phone. Like you're likable. So once you get people face to face, I feel like you're going to do fine. But over the phone, you have very rudimentary communication skills because I had never been in a professional setting, like, right. I'd never called on B2B. I didn't call on engineers. I didn't call on accountants. I didn't call on finance folks. And so he took me aside and there's this whole list of assessing questions. And he gave me a baseball bat and it was post five o'clock. And this is, he didn't have to do this, right? He was investing additional time to me. He said, hang on to the baseball bat and just look at the baseball bat. Don't look at me. And we're going to, we're going to spend 15 minutes for the next, basically as long as it takes, we're going to do it every single night. Here's a list of questions. It was like 15 questions. I need you to memorize these questions to increase your vocabulary to a point where you can recite these questions without pauses, without ums, without any fear. And you can do it in a fluid way. So it seems a part of the conversation as opposed to a script. And I need you to memorize these. It's no different than an acting, right? Like you need to memorize your lines and get it yeah. to a point where you can, and you can articulate it and, and kick it back to whoever is the, the acceptor of it in a way that doesn't sound like it's blocking and tackling and like dun, 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 the dunce, right? So he sat there for 15 minutes with me uh, every single night. I memorized those questions. I would go home. I would list off the first five, like all B2B questions, business to business questions. And it literally took like a month uh, for me to memorize them and get them to the point where I felt like they were part of my vocabulary. They're part of my muscle memory. And then when I got on the phones during the day, I would carry the bat with me and it was my focal point. Like, I don't know if I have ADD or whatever, but like I would get so distracted by everything happening around me. Cause you're in cubes, like literally shoulder to shoulder with people. And so I'd hang on to the bat. I would dial the phone and just look down at the ground. And then I started to see success and I found my cocoon and I found my moment. And I'm like, this guy just invested 15 minutes 
from 5.15 to 5.30 every single night, every single for an entire month. And then it just sky, my, literally my sales skyrocketed. I took off, my confidence took off, bought a second suit with my first commission check in October. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Felt good. Um, and then I worked my way to, to get promoted. And so I think that was my first moment where it was like, legitimately people always say, when did you know you wanted to do leadership? It was at that specific moment, two years into two months into my career, when I knew I wanted to provide somebody what he just gave me because he believed in me. And if I go back to my background, one of my biggest fears was coming out of college. It's like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Like I shouldn't be here. Cause I looked at other kids, you know, and I use the term kids, but other peers, they're coming from well-off colleges, Ivy league. I'm coming from Western Michigan, like struggled, worked my way through college. Like I'm on a different platform. And you know, early on, you're still struggling to figure things out and I'm moving to a new city and things like that. You know, Phoenix as well can kind of be materialistic. Like it's the first time I saw foreign cars. I mean, I grew up an hour from Detroit. I'd never seen a Mercedes <laughs> or, you know, a Lexus or anything like that. Hey, made in Detroit. Right, exactly. Right. So, I, I mean, I remember seeing a Nissan. I'm like, what is that? That's amazing. But um, <laughs> that, that was my pivotal moment where I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to paying it forward, giving back, becoming a leader. And I want to seek out individuals that come – and this might sound wrong, but I, that, that, that don't have the perfect background, that don't have the perfect pedigree, because I know somewhere deep inside, they just need somebody to believe in them the same way my boss believed in me. Bring it full circle. Who's my boss today? Yeah. That same guy, right? And I owe my entire career to him. I would repeat it again and again. Um, he's my dude. He's my guy. He's invested in me. Um, he took a chance on me coming out of college when there's probably people that were much better suited for it. But once again, he believed in the human characteristics and bet on me and he invested in me. And then, then that's kind of the pivotal moment. And I've been fortunate enough because of him to pick leaders beyond that role, right? When I moved on to Atlanta, moved on to Minneapolis and then came back to LAFC that have also exemplified those same characteristics where they're just willing to invest in you. And it's almost like their belief in me was greater than my belief in myself. They don't almost teach me and coach me to believe in myself, um, which I think factors in if you bring up full circle, which is why the way I lead today it's because I just want people to believe in themselves. Cause I think that we're all so much, we're, we're all so capable of so much more, but we put restrictions on ourselves. Yeah. Now how I would describe that, many people might go PC about it, but I just think that's badass. <laughs> that is badass. You know, um, whether it's, it's, it's career, whether it's personal, um, that whole experience and how that came full circle and how it's still growing, man, Corey, I cannot wait for people to, to hear this. And if they, if they're hearing it right now, there's no way they're not going like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. That's, I hope so. That's man. Awesome. I hope, I mean, that, that's the piece is that, uh, you know, we all have an opportunity. We all have a chance. Um, we're all playing on the same playing field, right. Yeah. And regardless of circumstances, regardless of the challenge, regardless of the obstacles, there's access. We have tons of access. Yeah. It's there. Um, and I think it begins with somebody just saying, you know what, I'm going to, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Let me help you. And I think all of us could do a better job regardless of our role. Even if we're not in a leadership role, like we could all do that to each other. And yeah. I think if we do that, right, game over. And it's easy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Just the, and you know, say the words, but then back it up with a little bit of context, follow up, follow through. You're good to go. Yeah. Um, last question. If, if someone is, is trying to find their extraordinary, trying to find it, whether they're, 
just starting out in the workforce or, you know, um, do, dealing with a relationship or, you know, they're at the end of their career and they're retiring and they're still trying to find their extraordinary. How, what would you tell them? Huh. Um, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, you know, obviously that's the title, right? Yeah. Um, I, I struggled with that one because I don't think that, that, if you're seeking the extraordinary, I'm not quite sure. Like it kind of goes back to that, that quite like if, if you go into it with a predetermined outcome, I'm not sure you're ever going to find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's open up your eyes, open up your ears, um, and expose yourself to as much as possible. Um, and not be afraid of failure because failure is part of it. Um, you know, they always say, and I mentioned the tombstone moment, like at any moment, I don't want somebody to say, well, man, he, re he really could have done this, but he stayed back. Yeah. Right. He held back. Um, and you know, you and I discussed this a little bit and I, I'll use this just cause it's current and it's relevant. You know, I ran the LA marathon this Sunday. You see me, I'm not a marathon runner body. Like it, it's not meant to, I wasn't meant to built to run a marathon. But for those um, of you who can't see Corey, <laughs> he's athletic. Like you so, see this guy and you're like, okay, I, I want him on my flag football yeah, team yeah. for sure. But I appreciate that. Uh, but at the same time, it was one of those things I never in a million years, the most I had ever done is a half marathon in Minnesota in 2014. Up to that, I had never run more than a 10 K until 2000, what? 2009. So didn't run high, high school track, anything like that. And not that you have to, to run a marathon, but I think it goes back to testing yourself. And I saw you, you had the David Goggins can't hurt yourself. Like I think a, if you want to find your extraordinary, read a book about people who have found extraordinary. But the funny thing is, if you read that book, he doesn't believe he's found it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I go back. I don't think I, I don't want to ever find it. Like, I don't think you ever would want to put yourself in a position where if I do X, that's going to be my extraordinary. Cause then you set a limit on yourself. And I go back to that. Don't set limits. Just go do, excuse my, but just go do shit. Yeah. And at mile 20, I was mother effing everybody. Like I was ready to like, it was, it, the wheels came off for the first 20 miles of the marathon. Me and my buddy are running it. My buddy's actually a, a P ed teacher. And for those that live in LA or don't know, you know, the LA Marathon actually sets it up for the school system. So at-risk youth, they have 2,500 kids run. Like when I mean kids, I'm talking middle school, junior high, and high school run the marathon. 2,500 from inner city schools. Goal is to show them physical activity, keep them off the streets, all that good stuff. So he is a PE teacher at a school. He had three kids from his school run. Wow. In some way, shape, or form, it happened where I was like, you know what? I'll do it with you. And this is back in December. Like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I, I run. And I, I run on the weekends, especially living in LA. You're going to run on the beach. Like, I lived in Venice. Like, I would run to Santa Monica Pier and back six miles. Like, I can do that. That's good. So I trained for two months. But I got to the 20th mile, and the wheels came off. Like, my legs locked up. Like, I, I was basically doing the Icky Wood Shuffle for the last five, six miles, like, trying to figure out a way. And I literally thought of David Goggins. David Goggins, and I was just like, I know what he'd be saying. Like he would not give up and I got to finish this and I can't go on a podcast on Tuesday and say that I'd gotten the marathon, <laughs> didn't finish the marathon. And then I was just trying to find any motivation just to keep going. And so I don't know if that's extraordinary, but I would say it's something where it's like, I've never done it before. I would have never in a million years dreamed I could do it. 
I trained what I would consider moderately hard. I probably could have done way better, right? You always could do better looking back at it. And I was disapp- I'm disappointed in the way I finished. But looking back at it, I did something that I would have never thought I would have been able to do even two years ago, three years ago. You know, I turned 40 this year and I just ran a marathon. Like, like do, do, just do it. Mm-hmm. Find a way to do it. You'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. I ran 20 miles, ran 26.2, finished it. When I finished it, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do it ever again. Monday, getting out of chairs, no way I'm, uh, you know what? But that was pretty cool. Today, I'm walking fine. I'm like, I could do that again. And now I've, I've like, my plateau has changed, right? My, my, my peak has changed. And so I think about advice for anybody trying to find an extraordinary. Don't seek extraordinary. Just do stuff. Like if, you've, if you can't run a, uh, six miles, run a mile and see what it feels like. And I guarantee once you break through that plateau, then you're going to automatically get that adrenaline boost. Because in David Goggins' book too, and then other books out there, and I think they've talked about it, and there's a guy, I can't think of his name right now. He's got a great book. Um, Jesse's his first name. He's the owner, one of the owners of the Hawks, but he thinks we operate at like 50 to 60% of our maximum occupancy, right? Like maximum yeah. capacity. So where's that, where's that reserve tank? Like buckle into that reserve tank and figure out what you can do. And I think in work, you should do that. Life, you should do that. And, um, just continue to push yourself, man. I I don't know. I don't, I don't have like a a pinpoint answer for it, but I would just want to set expectations that you're seeking out extraordinary. I would just say, go out there and do stuff. And I think you'll be surprised at what you can do and what you can accomplish. And then once you do one, it'll lead to another. And then once you do that, it'll lead to another. And then it's just the snowball effect. Um, and I think that's why anytime you read a book about extraordinary people, I think if you're sitting back just reviewing based on like years, if you just looked at a timeline, you'd be like, how did they accomplish so much? Well, it started with one. Yeah. It always, there's always a starting point for every single human being. So just start with one. Don't look at the list of 10, 15, 20, 25 to be extraordinary. Start with one. Just do one thing that you haven't done. Once you accomplish that, I guarantee you're going to have pride. You're going to you're going to be inspired to take the next step and go the next mile um, and find something else to motivate you, to inspire you, and put something on the calendar where it's like, I'm working towards that. Man. I'll tell you what. First and foremost, congrats on, on running the marathon. Thank you. I appreciate it. I feel much better today. If you would have talked to me yesterday, I probably would have had a different feeling. <laughs> yeah, but still, even two, what, two days later? Yeah. I mean – Walking around, doing all right. You've been moving around in the yeah, chair. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. good, man. Congratulations. Um, number two, I just want I just appreciate you for being, uh, you know, vulnerable and and honest in in this whole conversation. I, I like I said, I, I can't wait to release this one. This is a this is a special one for me. I, you bring a uniqueness uh, that not a lot of people have been able to uh, bring on the podcast, and I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, before we sign off here, how uh, how can people reach you? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm at Twitter. Uh, you can definitely do that. I'm trying to pull up. I don't even know. That's how good I am as a, a Twitter handle here. Uh, but CMB711, so CMB711. Cool. Um, or Corey Bratton on LinkedIn. Feel free to, to hit me up that way from a business perspective if you have any questions. That's you B-R-E-T-O-N. Know. Correct. Correct. And C-O-R. E-Y. E-Y. Yes. Yes. That's yes. Right. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so I'd say those are the two easiest ways to reach me. And if anybody wants to send me a direct email, I'm more than happy. I mean, it's just my name, C Breton at legends.net. Um, and I think part of the, the journey, part of doing anything like this 
is paying it forward. And uh, I always try to be respectful of people's time and respectful of answering any questions they might have as a follow-up. Because hopefully if I reciprocate back, that will lead to them reciprocating to somebody else that, that is looking for information or looking for inspiration or whatever it might be. So um, let's continue to pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Thank you so much, though, man. This is awesome. This has been a tremendous experience. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to provide some insight and some knowledge that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your life. Now, you've already done more than enough by listening to the podcast, but if you want to go above and beyond and really help me, you can subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is for podcasts. This will ultimately help me grow, and that's what we're all about here. So I am really looking forward to the next time that I get to spend time with you on the podcast. And until then, stay extraordinary.